For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. That's why the papers this morning have, oh my, 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 July, you know the song, my July. The nation, um, as they said, bolted to the beach and gorged on ice cream to survive the hottest day of the year yesterday. If you, unfortunately, were caught on Garristown Bridge yesterday because of uh, a main drainage scheme that they're putting through Kinsale, you'll know how head how your head was wrecked by it because it was awful. Uh, right across that bridge, they had um, uh, traffic lights yesterday, and it meant that on one, I suppose, the busiest Sunday in a long, long time with people trying to get over that bridge and use access roads around it, there was absolute chaos. Um, it just showed me yesterday, because I was caught in it yesterday going both ways, it showed me how many people actually do leg it to the beach and leg it to the countryside to enjoy the weather. And all of the papers this morning are saying that we need to brace ourselves for a continuing scorcher. It won't be down here, but they are saying in the star this morning the temperatures could get up to in and around 26, 27 degrees. But they're talking about Shannon Airport and over in the County Clare. Uh, but the downside with the minute you get the sunshine uh, and people decide, oh God, I need to get the barbecue out. And that's a great thing, a bit of barbecued cooking. And there you have the independent, uh, you know, sticking a fork in your sausage, if you like, saying, ditch the burgers and ditch the sausages because you'll pile on the pounds of the barbecue. I suppose they want us to eat vegetarian uh, barbecues. There's nothing like a sausage or a burger or a pork chop or a bit of chicken or what have you. Uh, you mean you need the odd treat, don't you, when the sunshine comes? But barbecue enthusiasts being urged to swap burgers and sausages for healthy alternatives to avoid piling on the pounds. It'd be great to chat as the week went on, actually, <coughs> with regards to people who've had barbecue nightmares. But the real world, of course, continues. Those that are locked out of a home. Zero rooms in Cork City for HAP tenants is a story making the echo today. <coughs> There's a fair few old wobbles for the coalition. And again, in the papers today, they're um, only hours ahead now of a dull vote of no confidence. And in the mail this morning talks about that. Michal Martin now is trying to cobble the support of independence, apparently, uh, and the mail deal with it. Meanwhile, something that in other countries would bring down a government won't obviously bring down a government here because very little does. Um, but the Greens apparently fly business class, despite, they say, the fact that business class seats have a much higher carbon footprint. <clears throat> but those are the seats that they use for international travel, apparently, the Greens. Independent this morning says the Green Party ministers have been travelling on business class flights for international state visits despite the fact that they go all in a tizzy about carbon footprints uh, and they're guilty of the worst of it themselves when they fly because it's three times worse apparently. I don't know why, but they say it's three times worse in a business class seat. Never mind the fact that the cost of a business class seat is absolutely astronomical. The best that I can ever see with business class or any of those is when you walk from the cheaper seats through the plane to get off it and you walk through those areas and you see the decadence of the seating arrangements and the beautiful, beautiful area that they have to sit and to lie out on and mind the food that they're uh, they're eating or noshing on the champagne and what have you. But would you pay it? I wouldn't think so. I mean, €6,851 for business class. Um, shorter flights, of course, would be less, but that's probably a typical example of a, a business class flight uh, on an international airplane. Uh, meanwhile, um, unfortunately, without being the... Um, harbinger of doom and gloom. I don't know whether you saw the Sunday Times analysis yesterday of Irish goods. These are goods made and produced in Ireland, but for some extraordinary reason are cheaper in the UK. And the Times UK, which the Irish edition of it yesterday, spoke of things like Clonakilty sausages, Irish yogurts, pseudocream, 
uh, Barry's tea bags even, all made here, but cheaper in the UK. You couldn't make this stuff up. And meanwhile, the mail talks about the staggering cost of food shopping. You'll see it everywhere you go. You know, you might have got a, you know, a two for one punnet of strawberries, you know, that kind of thing. Two for two for a fiver. Now that's costing you five fifty. And if every if that was happening with every single thing you bought, it wouldn't be long before you'd start feeling a real pinch and a be really strapped uh, with regards to the amount of money you've got available to to shop. And then for online shopping and other types of shopping like it, I see the mail also says that um, in some cases, if you are buying a jumper that says that it's wool, you might need to want to check it. Or I don't know how you would check the content of a jumper now that I mention it. But they're saying that the wool jumper. And they specify one in Marks and Spencer. It's only one third wool. And then other types of advertising for stuff that you're buying, that you think you're buying, like a satin dress, apparently, that's 100% made from polyester. And you heard in the news this morning with regards to clothing and uniforms and footwear that the back to school allowances will be paid with an extra 100 bucks, apparently. And it'll be a bank account next Monday. I hope it is because we heard that before, particularly those that were due a loyalty payment from the state. Uh, hopefully it will happen next Monday and the next few bob, of course, uh, will be very much appreciated. And with regards to uh, clothing items or fashion styles, have you noticed the amount of people going around these days with a, with a mullet? Apparently the mullet hairstyle or haircut is back in vogue again. Uh, apparently one in seven blokes are now going around with a mullet. Um, don't know why. Um, you know, I guess that's fashion and style. It It's cyclical. Everything comes back into fashion again. And the mullet give examples of uh, the... <laughs> The mullet give the mirror give examples of mullets in the papers today, and you also heard that uh, if anybody ever thought that the government would ever scrap a tax, you know, you must be living in dream cuckoo land. There was um, a commission put together on media that recommended that uh, the TV license fee should be scrapped and that RTE should be just paid directly uh, by uh, the government through on through taxation. That's never going to happen. The government said, dream on, baby, or words to that effect. People will continue uh, to pay the license fee. I've been a long believer that the license fee should be absolutely 100% scrapped and that RTE should be able to survive on their own uh, with advertising and sponsorship just like the rest of us. Yeah, but who listens to me? The number one talk show in court. It's happening in Cork and Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. And you can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106 and uh, email neil at uh, redfm.ie. Thank you so much to Mick Mulcahy for the last couple of weeks. In all fairness to him, kept the show on the road as always and to the lads as well for working so well with him and for you guys for staying in touch and getting involved in the conversation. we got calls, texts and comments on the way back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. You betcha to the phone lines we go. Graham, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm good, my man. Is this a good time for you? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no, what up? Okay, I was, I was amazed because you got in touch uh, over the past few days um, with regards to issues involving uh, and a very interesting email that I want to re- read also from the, the sister of a girl who is in serious throes of heroin addiction and can't get help. I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. But your story on the train from Dublin, share that with me, will you? Yeah, so I was, I was on the train from Dublin there a couple of days. You're in recovery, incidentally, Graham, aren't you? I am, I am Neil. Yeah, I'm just over five and a half years uh, in recovery myself. So I was on, I was on the train the other day, coming home from Dublin, back down to Cork, and the train was absolutely packed. So I was just sitting down on the kind of where the carriageways meet, basically, 
And no seat. Yeah. yeah, there was no seat to that. So it is what it is. I was just kind of sat down or whatever. Yeah. And I was sitting next to the toilet, basically. And when I was sitting down, this guy who was working on the train for Aaron Rudd, Aaron, he, was, he walked past me with two cans of beer in his hand. I thought that was a bit strange. And a couple of seconds later, this, this guy kind of straggled along just behind him and he was clearly after a lot of alcohol. So the guy from Aaron Rudd, Aaron, what he was doing, he was... I presume he was pouring out the cans or whatever and going to give a bit of a quick lecture to the, the guy who was after alcohol. Yeah. And the guy who was after alcohol just sat down next to me. He plunked down on the floor next to me. And he said that he was just out of Coonville oh, and no. he had gotten kicked out of home, basically. You mean, was, so he, was, was he literally just out of Coonville that day kind of thing or something? Yeah, that's, that's what I gather from it. And I'd say his parents probably weren't taking him back right because he was drunk again I, I, I'd say okay so basically I just replied to him and just said that's I said really I said that's that's interesting I'm actually in recovery myself and his eyes just lit up the second I said that you know and we, we got chatting we were chatting for at least an hour and a half I'd say and then next thing he invited me to where his actual seat was so I said yeah I'll go with you so I went up and sat down with him and I was just having a heart to heart basically Neil he slugged two cans of beer in the space of two seconds. Um, he was just, you know, he, there was a lot going on from I could see it. And every time that I spoke about my own kind of past and what I had been through and, and where I am now, every time I mentioned something, it's almost as if he could relate straight away. And I could see tears welling up in his eyes and his voice was crackling a bit. And it, it just, it seemed to hit home with him. Young fella, how old is he about? He was, he said he was 24, yeah. so he was a, a young lad. He was, he had, you know, he, he had a lot going on, basically, what he was saying, and I, obviously I won't go into that. Yeah, on I air, understand, yeah. yeah. Go, but he, he has been, he has definitely been through a lot, you know? Yeah, and so there's there's reasons behind the situation and the, you know, the addiction issues that he finds himself with now. Oh, definitely, and, and if you look at addiction itself, I mean... Where with addiction, for me, my definition of what addiction is is it's basically escaping oneself um, and not being able to process what's going on for you in a healthy manner. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, everyone in in, a, in addiction is is running from something. What did he mean by he said he was looking for signs? Yeah. So, like in the middle of us chatting for that that hour and a half, he said that basically he he had been looking for signs of something. It's almost as if he was just crying out for help and, and looking for something that would help him on his path to recovery in general, you know. And he said that he was looking for signs in his darkness for the last 24 years. And I didn't really dig into that too much, but I what I do gather from that was that basically he was on about me that day or, or, or something anyway, because he just kept looking at me as he said it. He kept staring into my eyes and I could see the pain and the hurt. Did he say why his family, for instance, said, no, you can't come back? Is it because he, he came out of Convert Conver and started drinking, do you think? Well, he showed me a text message on his phone and it was from his dad. And his dad had mentioned that, look, we can't take this anymore. It's it's interfering with our, with our, with our marriage and everything else. Because, like, addiction or mental health in general, it has a ripple effect. It's yeah. not just affecting the person who's going through it. It's affecting the loved ones, the friends, the support system. If there's one there, it, it affects everyone. It's, yeah. it's, it's horrendous, you know. And I think I get lots of phone calls from from parents of teenagers who, you know, and they're they're on about their 
child basically that they're in suffering in, in some way, shape or form. And I asked them, you know, we, we could be on the phone for an hour and we'll chat for 55 minutes about their child. But I, at the very last five minutes, I go, but what about you? Yeah, I know. We, well, I, I suppose the text is an example of the fact that his parents probably still love him, but just can't do this anymore. It's having too much of an I, impact I on the rest. That to him. I said that to him. I said, look, I said that message came straight from love. And that sounds like someone who had to prioritize in some way, shape, or form, and has been struggling with it for so long. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But he's, if he's looking for a sign, he's looking for some kind of a miracle or intervention, but like, that's not going to happen, is it? Well, I, I would say that there is a possibility of it happening, yes. I always say that recovery is possible. A mi- like a miracle, though? I mean, it's not as if he's, you know, going well, to get kind of divine intervention and wake up one morning and be cured, like, is there? Well, that's what he happened. He got to do it himself. Yeah, it? no, that's what happened to me. I mean, I had, when it came to the 31st of October 2016, the day I began my recovery, I remember looking in the mirror at myself and saying, like, I brought up everything that I had done, everything that I had experienced. I sat there in, in front of that mirror crying for nearly an hour and a half. And there and then I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't because I'm a parent and I was a parent at that point. And I said I need to be there for my daughter because the path that I was going, Neil, would have led to me not being here anymore if I kept going, you know. So I did need a miracle. And it, it is miraculous based off of my story and what I've been through and to be where I am right now. I don't kind of see it like that fully, but anyone who's heard my story can say, like, that's a miracle. Like, how but how is, it, how, is it a, how is it a miracle? I mean, surely it was you did it. Yeah, it is. It's a miracle, so when other people do it for you, or God does it, or Jesus does it, or you manifest it, or the universe does it, how, do, how did you yes. not do it? Again, that comes down to someone's beliefs, because I don't believe I was in that on my own. And I'm not, like, I'm not religious, I don't believe in organized religion, I've nothing against it, it's just not for me. But I do believe in something bigger than me out there that is also with me on this journey, and supporting me in some way, shape, or form. That's why I think it's a miracle. And I, again, I'm not, like, I wouldn't go to Mass every Sunday, I'm not, and about even the term God, but I'm saying something out there is always out there to support and guide us yeah. on some level, I yeah. feel. I mean, what was, so what was your life like then, uh, the episode with the mirror and hour and a half just crying and saying, I can't do this anymore? Before that, what was your life like? Yeah, well, like, I had three suicide attempts, I had nine psychiatric wars days, I ended up homeless. Um, I was on 16 tablets for my mel- mental health alone. I was diagnosed with a mood disorder. I had numerous self-harm attempts uh, where one of them was uh, so severe that they were talking about amputation of my hand. I had destroyed every oh, relationship right. I had been in. I wasn't allowed to see my daughter temporarily. I mean, the list is endless. You know, that's, that's where I was at that point. And that was, that, was, that a, was that an alcohol addiction? No, there was drugs as well. Right. And uh, self-harm as well was a bit of an uh, addiction as well, yeah. In all forms. So, so, so you, did I you, looked, did, what, I, what I was did, actually, Neil, what I was actually, what I feel that I was truly addicted to was destroying Graham, self-destruction. And alcohol, drugs, self-harm, um, you know, toxic relationships, all this stuff played a part in me destroying myself. Did you not like I yourself? Myself. No, I hated myself. Why? What was there to hate? Because I blamed myself for something that I had experienced um, when I was young and that was actually not my fault at all. And right. it took me years of therapy 
to come to that realisation. And the second I did, when I was working with that professional, I came to the realisation that, hang on a minute, this isn't my fault. And for me to even question that experience that I had, that was enough for me to start thinking differently, acting differently and moving forward differently. Must have been sad to walk away from him, though. You know, not being able to, you know, after you had a conversation with him on the train, you can't help him anymore. No, I can't. And that's where, Neil, like, I had to just trust that he is on his journey um, and what will be, will be for him. And it did, it wasn't easy for me to come to that. But I, this goes for everyone. We cannot save the world as much as we want to. We can only ever save ourselves. And the amount of people out there um, are, that are going through addiction or, or mental health suffering or what, in whatever form it comes in is the numbers are absolutely crazy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Through the yeah. roof. You know what I mean? And I had to pull back and just reflect on that and, and wish him genuinely the best in his life from my heart. And yeah. that's all I could do in that moment and leave him go, you know? Yeah, yeah. And hope um, for the best. Obviously, I wish for the best outcome for him. And for everyone, anyone who's even listening right now, that to let them know that uh, a good outcome is possible. You know, once we start having that support system, know that we're not in it on our own and take everything a day at a time, regardless of what we're going uh, Have a listen to this before I let you go. I'm hoping this message yeah. finds you well. I'm writing today as my last resort to save my sister's life. Unfortunately, at 22 years old, my sister is addicted to heroin and has been for the last three years addicted to heroin. We have called every doctor, drug counsellor, youth worker, went to every single appointment possible to try and get this girl help. Uh, she has begged and pleaded for a chance to go to treatment, is always told you need to be clean for a certain amount of time. She gets to that time, then uh, then it's you need to be on X amount of methadone. Then it's gradually built up and up and up. There's always some setback after the next. It feels like these doctors don't understand how precious and fragile these weeks of clean time actually is. She's given clean urines for weeks on end, hoping for her chance then to have it thrown up, uh, thrown more hoops in front of her and they wave a methadone prescription at her over her head. Then to be met with people offering her drugs outside of these clinics. She goes to for help, which I've seen myself when I go with her. Imagine that. You come out of the clinic trying to get clean and they're offering you drugs. Uh, I now see a constant battle to get help for people in addiction. Uh, I now finally understand why so many people never get clean and lose their lives to drugs. It's so hard mentally and physically for these people and to be pushed from pillar to post is making it so much harder and so sad to watch. After going to numerous places with her and her doing everything she possibly could to get the treatment, I realise that she's only a paycheck to these doctors in drug abuse clinics. After five weeks clean, latching on to the hopes of treatment, which never came Unfortunately, she relapsed worse than ever. We're worried about her as she's so young and vulnerable. We're our family. We've tried everything for her and she always tries herself, but she knows that she needs long-term treatment away from the family area with proper care and help. She always tries her hardest to kick this addiction, but it's impossible on her own. She's still here. She's still herself. She doesn't want to be an addiction and never got a chance at life. And she's only 22. Perhaps there's someone who could please save my sister's life before she's another soul lost forever. What do you think of that? I feel so much for that young girl to be, first of all, that age, to have her whole life ahead of her and to be gripped by addiction so much. But the main point is, is that she is trying, she is willing 
and it's absolutely not her fault. Yeah, but she's, re- yeah, but she's, she's relapsed because she can't get a place. Yeah, and that's where I'm going with this, Neil, is that the system, it's the system's fault. If someone is ready for change and there's no support there for her, or if they're putting in these, these, this criteria that she has to meet this, to, to tick this box, that's absolutely horrendous. And Why do you need to be clean part? for, like, what is it, six weeks or whatever? Sure, if you can do that, you don't need treatment, do you? Not necessarily. It depends on the intensity of the addiction for that person. Um, for some six weeks and, and, and even Joe shorter than that and sometimes longer, that could be all they have in them at this moment. And to get into the, the system there, that would be fantastic for them. Yeah. If you, Did you do it for six weeks, doesn't mean that you can do it forever. Okay, um, yeah. Did you run up debt? I would have, yeah. yeah. Yes. Sub- substantial debt? Yes, I would have, yeah. I had to give uh, a car that I had away at one point, yeah. You had to give a car away? Yeah. I had to give the car that I had to someone because I owed so much money. But this was clearly dealers then, was it? Yeah, it would have been, yeah. 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 Here's one for you. First time ever writing to a radio station, contacting you out of desperation at the state services employed to help families in crisis like mine. In my area, there are at least 10 families that have kids aged between 12 and 18 who are in debt to drug dealers. One family had to pay €30,000 over to five different drug pushers last week alone. Can you believe that? A family in Cork last week paid thirty grand to five dealers. I know of someone in a very similar situation as well and he, this, this, he, he's basically a young man, he's in his late teens, um, had to pay a substantial amount of money to keep these people away. And also, that young man is probably looking at years ahead of him in, in prison. But it's the family a lot of the time have to pay the debt. Why, why would the family pay? What are the threats if you don't pay? Uh, look, that's, that depends on the person who is offering those threats and the lengths that they'll go to based off their attachment to what they feel is their money. And yeah. they they're are. not idle threats, I'd say, though, are they, Graham? No, they're not. You look, look, it's it's a fool's game, you know what I mean, inside, in the middle of all that. Um, yeah, look, I suppose you can kind of put, you can put your own kind of thoughts to that, but it's not, not wishing them happy birthday anyway, let's say. It's absolutely, you're 100% right when you say that, because the dealer owes the money to somebody else up the food chain, don't they? Yeah, they do, yeah. There's, it's, it is a food chain, it is that. There's hierarchies, there's this, there's that. Um, but at the end of the day, I've never met a dealer with a heart who gives a SHIT about I know what you're saying, know? I know what you're saying. Right, listen, I'll let you plough on. I'll read out that full email after the ad break, but look after yourself, Graham. Thanks for chatting. No bother, Neil. Thanks, William. All the best, pal. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Okay. Red FM. In my area, there are at least 10 families that have kids aged between 12 to 18 who are in debt to drug dealers. One family had to pay €30,000 over to five different drug pushers last week. The kids are being given drugs to stash by dealers were at least twice their age. When the Gardaí raid the houses and find the stash, the dealers then look for the lost revenue from the drugs. Um, When the children can't pay, the parents are intimidated into paying for them. 
If we are late in coughing up the cash, our lives are threatened and our property is damaged. That answers my question. You have no idea how bad it is out there. The dealers deal with impunity. There are several kids now buying their deal online and the stuff is dropped off an hour or two later. Much like ordering a pizza. The Gardaí are aware of the social media accounts that are being used and still they don't seem to act. My child has broken the law on many occasions in various ways and is very violent at times. I regularly check my home for drugs as I will not tolerate anything like this. I have resorted to locking myself in my bedroom for my own protection because of my child's violent outbursts. I often hear on your show the parents being blamed for their child's actions. Uh, People need to stop blaming us parents. They need to stop putting us under such immense pressure as parents. We are tearing our hair out and the guardie and services are turning a blind eye. Doors are closed in my face every time I look for help because I don't have private health insurance. We are left to deal with this on our own. There's nothing I wouldn't do to have my kids taken away for treatment and taken away from drug dealers. I don't know how much more of this I can take. My child wasn't rare to turn out like this. They've come from a loving family. Contacted the guardie with enough information to take this scum off the streets but they don't appear to me to be acting on it. We need to sit up and act, help us clean the streets of these nasty, vile people. But the paperwork seems too much for them to act on. And decent thing to work with communities is what they should be doing to protect and to serve. Don't give them my details. I constantly fear for my life if this would get traced back to me. Um, this is somebody who is paying dealers and is one of at least 10 families that they know of with kids aged between 12 and 18 who are in drug debt to drug dealers. There was one part of that email, actually. All of it interested me, obviously, on YouTube. But the bit about kids now who can buy whatever they want online. If you thought you were meeting some guy with a rucksack uh, down on Dawn Square or what have you for a deal or down a laneway, yeah, you can do. But it doesn't have to be that way. You just need to go on to Instagram. Seamus Whelan has been doing a lot of work on this in the recent past as to what you can buy online that will be delivered probably faster than a pizza and joins me by phone. Seamus, good morning. Good morning, Neil. And these are social media accounts that sell drugs online, whatever you want, from crack cocaine to heroin to even kids' sweets laced with drugs, is it? It is, and like anything and everything in between, uh, like you can get uh, Skittles, a bag of Skittles, you can get a bag of Nerds or a bag of Kinder, uh, Kinder Bueno sweets, all laced with uh, THC, which is the psychoactive part of cannabis. Um, and then there's there's other stuff. You could get um, Xanax or, 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 or any drug you, you, you'd like. And it's all delivered to your door. Okay, so the Xanax um, and all that stuff, that's your prescription stuff, right? On top of that, mm-hmm. then, you can get the, the laughing gas, nitrous oxide. You can get the hippie juice. It's known as hippie juice, isn't it? It's no, it, it is, in the yes, um, Yeah, you, you, like, it's lo- sold legally for dental practices and uh, med- medically used in the medical field. And it's also used for filling hot air, or filling uh, filling balloons. Uh, but um, there's a, uh, there's one account I've come across in Cork that's selling um, two canisters fairly cheaply, and it is dangerous stuff. Um, there, it, it, if you inhale it longer than is 
probably recommended. Um, you you could end up either brain dead or or kill yourself. I think there was a case there recently in Liverpool where a, ch- a, a child's uh, lung uh, burst from inhaling. This, oh, uh, this oh, so back to the Swedes for a moment, if you don't mind. They're laced these Swedes with the equivalent of the N bomb, aren't they? Um, they, they they would be yes, and um, like uh, I, there's one account I've come across online. Um, a bag of a bag of sweets has been sold for forty euros. Um, I've been offered a gram of heroin for 60 euros or three and a half grams for 200 euros and that will all be delivered to my door. Now, um, I got a, I got all this kind of really kicked off during the pandemic. Um, all the all the deals went online. But like, it, it's so blatant and so out in the open. I can't understand why nothing has been done about it. So I contacted uh, Facebook, who are the owner company for Instagram, where some of these uh, deals are going down, and the majority of them are being done over Snapchat uh, via um, a secure app that you need to download. Uh, the you messages. did all of that, incidentally, quite straightforward, didn't you? It, it is, yes. Um, like the, the, the app that I was told to download, um, the messages only stay there for six days to disappear. You can't screen record it. You can't screenshot it. So in the, in the dealer's mind, it's, it, it, it's a secure platform but it doesn't stop you from taking another phone and, and recording what's on your screen. Yeah, um, which is what you did. But, and we have screenshots of everything is, that was an offer. In fact, we have screenshots yeah. of the banter back and forth with you and the dealers, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, um, I kind of ghosted him then for the last week or so, but he's still coming back to me, kind of question mark, is the deal still on? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But like, there, you yeah, long fingered him once or twice saying, I'm waiting for payday kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, but like last night, I just sat down because I wasn't happy with the response that I got from Facebook. What did they say? That they, they were saying that 96% of the pages um, are removed very quickly once they go up. Um, and I did find another report that said that they, between November and December of last year, they removed 1.4 million pieces of drug sale content. Um, now, what they've done is that they've put in an acronym, um, um, they they put into the system something that will identify anything that's drug related hashtags or or photographs. So they say. So last night I sat down and I decided to do a bit of my own research, and uh, within five minutes I found half a dozen uh, pages that are active since 2021 and selling away, and they are all cork based. All cork based. All cork based. One guy will deliver to my door within half an hour to an hour. How will he do that? What what will happen? You transfer the money, is it? And he rocks up in a car, or how how does it arrive? Pretty much so. Um, You you basically transfer the money, whether you can trust trust that it's a legitimate account or not. But like everything that I've gone through in the last couple of weeks would suggest that the guy I'm dealing with is legitimate. Do they have customer reviews up on the pages? Um, no, uh, it, it, it's just basically okay, okay. Uh, what, so, what, what I have is they, that they would have their page on Instagram 
and they'd advertise their Snapchat and they'd advertise this other app that you need to That's download. Right. To the next stage in the, in, the, in the trade is moving from Instagram onto another page and then arriving at your door will be uh, a bag of heroin or a gram of cocaine or yeah. uh, the sweets, as you're saying, or ease mm. in Bob's antidepressants, whatever you want. So is it any wonder that the email that I got from the family who were paying drug dealers say that the dealers act with impunity? They're, they've moved online. Yeah, uh, no, I, I've spoken to a number of uh, youth workers and they tell me that it, it is it is pretty bad out there. Now, uh, interesting in listening to what Graham was saying to you earlier that the system is broken. The system is 110% broken because what the youth workers are telling me is that there's no education part there. They're not, edu- kids aren't educated in uh, drugs or what these drugs can do. The information is only there when they come looking for it yeah. when they need it. But parents um, need to know about the access through uh, Instagram and Snapchat. Because as I well, said, they, the days of meeting somebody on the corner with a rucksack and doing a quiet little deal mm-hmm. in the in the in the you know little dark area and anyway, they're they're well gone for a lot of people now. They're just ordering up what oh, they totally. want, like like you get a pizza. Yeah, to- totally. Like the the situation here is that. So, uh, according to youth workers, that parents are trusting their children too much. Like they they give them their own privacy when they're interacting online, and they're saying that they're seeing a lot of kids that have issues now with with drink, and that then leads them on to the softer drugs and then into the the harder drugs. Like you had that twenty two year old this morning. She started on heroin when she was seventeen. God so like, my. and what they're saying is that the, the, the parents are kind of turning a blind eye to the kids when they're drinking because, ah, that's harmless. We did that when we were younger, but they're not monitoring it. So like, what I'm also being told is that there's a lack of um, support or services there. Uh, there's also um, the drug liaison officers and the Gardaí also are very much under-resourced. Um, so they're finding it difficult to to catch up on everything that's happening. Um, so a guard, like, the guardie could never trace these guys because they um, can just shut down the account, is it? They're not traceable. Uh, why, why wouldn't they be able to find them, though? Because they'd have the initial link on Snapchat, wouldn't they? The initial link on well, Instagram. They, they, well, they could do what, I, what I've been doing and, and conversing with... With uh, with one of these so-called drug dealers and catch them in catch the sting, them in the, uh, catch them in the sting. Like there, like last year when I was on McCartan Street uh, doing the doing the stuff with the the, the homeless and um, playing play the site, you could see the the dealing on the street on on social welfare day. No guards, no no guards in sight. Um, I believe the same thing happens down around the GPO. On, on social welfare day, they're up and down the lines. You also have up on Wellington Road where there's three schools dealing quite open in, 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 in the day, going up and down the street, and not a garden site. And are they around schools inten- are they around schools intentionally? I would assume so. Yeah. Um, well, why like, wouldn't they be? I, they're they're I, there for football footfall, aren't they? Yeah. Like I I know of one particular area in Wellington Road, that that's known for for de- for for dealing. Uh, quite a lot of the the homeless would go up there and get their deals, um, and it's on a, st- a stretch road where there's I think three schools there. Isn't there something very sinister though about sweets? 
chocolates and um, you know sugary jellies and stuff being it, sold it's to children. Basically, they're they're, they're marketing it, marketing it, or sorry, marketing it to younger kids. It's clear and obvious. And why would the parents not be picking up that their kids are coming on out of their heads? I don't know. To be honest, Neil, I don't know. Do parents parent anymore? Um, like I know quite a lot of us do, but like then there there's those that that will uh, leave the kids to their own devices. Yeah, but the email that I read out from the families paying up to thirty grand to five different pushers said, "Stop, de- stop judging us, stop blaming us, parents, uh, stop putting us under even more pressure. We're tearing our hair out mm. with our children anyway. You know they are trying." You know? Yeah, and uh, like I, I heard that. Yeah, and there, and and no supports there for them. And what, unless you had medical insurance. And what would happen if you didn't? Do you have any idea as to what happens if uh, if a guy or a girl runs up a drug debt that they can't pay, and the dealer comes calling on the family? Uh, there are threats. Clearly, are there? There are. Like property would be damaged. Maybe the wing mirrors, your car would be blown off. Maybe the, the your windows would be blown in. Um, and that's just the initial threat. Maybe the the, the child would be um, attacked then um, by by the dealers because you have to understand these twelve and fourteen year olds who are caught in this cycle now are being beaten up by the sixteen seventeen year olds because somebody further up the up the food chain is 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 putting pressure yeah. on them and yeah. they're being beaten up. Yeah. Yeah, oh, uh, right up to we'll burn you, we'll burn you with your house, we'll burn you inside in your house, kind of stuff. I mean, I know, yeah. of, I know of families, and I've heard recently of families who are just leaving, trying to either get transfers or just leaving the uh, housing estates that they've lived in for many years because they can't take it anymore. Yes, and I've also heard of a situation where um, a young fella actually ended it all uh, because of a massive drug debt and his parents didn't realise that he had a drug debt and he came from a, a, a very well-to-do family. No, not saying that it, 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 it's just well-to-do families that are stuck in this, in this mm. Uh, mm. crisis. But I would assume if that child went to their parents and said, look, this is what's happened, they'd have easily found the cash to, to, get, to, to pay off the dealers. And, 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 and the debt keeps going it. up, doesn't it? The longer it's unpaid, does it keep climbing? Well, do you remember last year we had a guy, Thomas, that was speaking to, to you. He had he'd run up uh, a drug debt to a number of, of dealers and it, it just, it was a small, small amount he owed, but it kept building and building because every day that you don't pay up, there's an extra hundred or there's an extra 150 added on. Good God. Good God. I just can't get it out of my head. Twelve families, uh, kids aged between 12 and 18, uh, paying drug dealers, and one in particular, €30,000 to five different pushers that the family have to pick yep. up the debt. God, I and I'd, I, I'd say they needed, uh, needed to remortgage the house to do that, you know, putting themselves in more debt. All right, okay. Um, if nothing else, it's allowing people to be aware of uh, what is available to everybody, particular to young people and to minors online well, on the like likes they, of Instagram they, and Snapchat. But they should, they should be monitoring their kids' accounts. They, they should, like, I, I think there's a nap out there that will mirror what, uh, what their kids are browsing because... I, I know you want to give them their own independence and, 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 and be able to fend for themselves, but you need to know what exactly your kids are doing online and, and monitor what they're doing and have that talk about the effects of drink and drugs because, like, 
they, in, you could turn around in the morning and tr- find out that they've got an, uh, an addiction issue, mm. like like that woman in your email, mm. and can't get the help anywhere. They could end up with that 22-year-old uh, who started at the age of 17 and, and strung out in heroin and can't get off it. So, like, there, there needs to be open conversations about the... I suppose drink and drugs and it also needs to be brought into the schools as well. Yeah, it's a very open and honest email. I've resorted to locking myself in my bedroom for my own protection because of my child's violent outbursts. That's incredible. And I I bet there's a lot more to that email that that individual would have wanted to put in Mm. but was afraid that they'd be identified and not only the son or the daughter or whoever it is would be down on top of them it would have been it would have been the dealers as well that's true that's true thanks for the coverage uh, appreciate the work done on that Seamus take care talk soon cheers no cheers Wheelahan take care text 0868 calls on the way talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818 104 106 Cork's Red FM text 0868104106 what in the name of God are the Greens doing flying business class anywhere what in the name of God is any politician doing flying business class anywhere. It's the taxpayer has to pay for business class or for any flight or any transport costs. It's just not acceptable. I want to say thank you to Brian because I couldn't work out why are carbon emissions so much higher in business class, right? And the Greens going on about climate warming and carbon emissions and look what they're doing, flying business class internationally. Brian says the reason carbon emissions are three times higher on business class is likely linked to the area the space given to that passenger. It's three times more than a standard seat. Carbon per airline is divided by passenger numbers and space. You're absolutely right. Fair play to you. When you say it to me like that, it makes perfect sense. And thank you for it. Uh, Meanwhile, morning, Neil. Please don't give up my details. If you do, there will be fallout. But uh, a 50-year-old man returned home from hospital, having received an aggressive cancer diagnosis, to be greeted by two fellas demanding €10,000, his son's drug debt. We were not aware that that he has paid in excess of €50,000 to repay his son's other drug debts already. He has since been targeted again for even more money, such as the pressure he's been told that the collectors will shoot his son. <clears throat> we are beyond despair for both the cancer diagnosis and the previously unknown drug addictions and drug debts. These collectors and dealers are very respectful adults in our community, a subculture we were completely unaware of. Gardaí are unable to help, even though the parents' family home, sheds, crops have all been threatened by fire if the father doesn't pay up. Incidentally, this is not in the city, but in a very rural, sleepy village in Cork. No help for us. Please don't give out my details. Isn't that incredible? Another example, and this is an actual ongoing case to history of a family who've been targeted for the drug debts of a son. 50 grand paid and another 10 grand now needs to be paid. We'll pick it up after 10. Text 0868 I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sports every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And people are texting 0868-104-106. Um, on the topic of drug use in our youth at present, no matter what way you slice it, dice it or chop it up, 
we as a nation have completely lost control of the youth of this country. Not all, but some. Don't fear anyone or anything. Zero respect for the rest of society and do what they want when they want. They've been dragged up, you see, not brought up. Things have changed so much. And our nanny state that we've created allows them to get away with whatever they please. There are repercussions. No, there are no repercussions anymore. And Garda Shaconner are concerned with catching the law-abiding citizens trying to go about their everyday life than dealing with these thugs, tulls and scumbags. Using drugs now is as common as eating lunch. When will we wake up and realise there is a pandemic, dem- pandemic in this country which is the drug culture, which is worsening by the day. And I honestly don't think the majority of people realize, realize how bad it is. Can come on the air at work. And that by text to 0868 104 106. There's another one then that spoke of uh, dealers. Yeah, uh, the drug dealers are showing up at funerals, you know, looking for drug debts to be paid. The debts never go away. A Dublin gang comes down to give out a warning pay up or else. So what is the or, or else part of it? Uh, obviously threats and menace uh, to people's health and safety, their lives and their property. So I want to chat for a while with uh, Michael Gearan, the addiction counsellor at Coonvura. Just on that topic, we may stray into other areas, but certainly on that topic. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Do you come across as part of the treatment of people who um, are in your care of the stories of parents and families paying drug debts? Yes, it wouldn't be at all unusual for us, Neil, to come across people um, who would access treatment. And during the course of that time, we would have a conversation with their family who would raise the issue of money that is owed to drug dealers, where drug dealers would have called to them and explained to them that because of your son or your daughter's behaviour, you now owe us X amount of money. And their their tone, as you said, tends to be quite um, menacing and creates a lot of fear in people. And people are then conflicted as to what is the best thing to do. They wonder on the one hand, should they pay them? Or on the other hand, should they go to the guardian and report the fact that they have been um, threatened by these people? Mm. And, very, and very often people will opt to pay because... The simple reason being they feel if they report it to the Gardaí and go the official route that the intimidation and the threats and the, the actual carrying out of these threats could become worse by virtue of the fact that they have brought the law into Okay, it. so the conversation is because of a family member, you now owe us the money. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen, A, B, yes. C. Is that they, they tell them what the threats are? Yes, there have been cases I have known of where they, they have been very descriptive as to how they will act should they not be paid. Uh, can you give examples of that? Well, I mean, I've heard of people in, in the past where threats have been made to burn cars, um, to assault people, um, and in extreme cases, and if you have heard of threats, being made to burn houses. Now, thanks be to God this didn't happen. But they certainly would make threats along those lines. So in the, in the in conversations that I've had from time to time in the past, one of them springs to mind of where they'd be brought to uh, a country area uh, on the side of the road and a bullet would be put in their head. Is that an idle threat? Well, I, I mean, thanks be to God I have never been party to any of these threats having been carried out to that extremity. Um but I, I wouldn't say it was idle, and certainly if somebody made a threat against me of that nature, I would be taking it very seriously. Okay, so when they say, we'll burn your car, or indeed, we'll torch your house, 
Does that happen then? Well, I mean, I have seen cases where people have paid over substantial amounts of money to avoid that stress being put on themselves and other family members. Okay, okay. And where would they get that? Like, say, for instance, the email this morning that talks of €30,000 being paid by one family to five different pushers last week alone. Where do they find that money? Well, you see, Neil, the only two ways in which somebody could find a sum of money like that is either A, they have it, or B, they borrow it. Um, Now, I'm only speculating here. I know nothing about finances as such, but that is the only two ways in which somebody could come up with 30,000 at short notice. And and the two options are either pay it or go to the guards. What deters them reporting it to the guardie? Well, I suppose the concern about reporting it to the Gardaí is that the Gardaí will identify the individuals who are seeking the money and then take steps against them. And that as a result of that reporting, that the, the, the level of intimidation and the level of threat and maybe the level of violence will escalate as a result of the fact that this person gotcha. contacted the guardian. Gotcha, so that's petrol on the fire, if you like. Exactly. And I have seen parents and family members agonise about this because on the one hand, they do not want to be putting money into the hands of people who sell drugs because it's totally against what they believe in and particularly down to the fact that they have a family member who has been affected in such a way. But on the other hand, they fear the repercussions of going to the Gardaí. Yeah, um, in, in the past I have, and this is not in any way critical of Ungarda Shikana, but I've also had conversations with people where even members of the Gardaí have recommended to family members to pay the debt. Yeah, I've never heard of a case of that, but I could see how that would be the case. In the sense that they're saying what you're saying. If you report this to us, if we investigate this, we cannot guarantee your safety. It may be a better option to pay up. Yeah. And as you said, it is no reflection on the Gardaí. And again, going back to the email that you read out earlier in the show, where the young lady is looking to access treatment and is struggling to do so. I don't think the public actually realise the the amount or or the the, the vastness of this problem is such that Gardaí and frontline workers like myself dealing with people who have drug problems are absolutely snowed under such is the weight of the problem. But why does she have to uh, be clean for six or eight weeks, Michael? One would think that if she did, she wouldn't need counselling or treatment. I absolutely agree. And I've known her without... And first of all, I'm not commenting on any individual case. And second of all, I know nothing about this young lady apart from what I've heard in in the email that you read out. But I mean, we are one of the organisations that actually does on-site detox. So we can take people with some preparatory work um, and detox them and safely withdraw them from what they are using. Other centres you need to be clean, which which sometimes um, puzzles me because if it was possible for the person to get clean on the outside, again, like you said, you'd wonder too, they need to go to treatment at all. Mm-hmm. She's 22 uh, with a heroin addiction that started at the age of 17. Is that, is that outside the norm or would you hear of that? People that young? Not particularly. We're meeting people all of the time in their early 20s who would tell us that their drug taking started um, underage and they would have started experimenting with substances that were lower down in the hierarchy than heroin. 
at the ages of 14 and 15. And incidentally, Neil, to go back to Seamus's piece there that he did, it will nearly almost always tell you they did so while under the influence of alcohol. So I think that, you know... If we're Alcohol's the gateway looking, a lot of the time, right? Yeah, if we're looking for a root cause here, not necessarily a gateway drug, but something that young people do on a regular basis that lowers their inhibitions gotcha. to the point that they yeah. will start messing with, with various things. So are you aware of the online purchase of anything you want through Instagram and Snapchat, including, uh, you know, you know, sweets and, and chocolate laced with, uh, with amphetamines? Well, the clients I would meet would be gone well beyond the sweets and chocolate phase, but they would regularly make reference to Snapchat as a, a platform that they use to communicate with people from whom they buy drugs. So that's not at all unusual at this stage. Yeah, but it's it seems as if they're doing it with impunity. They set up, and you can buy anything, incidentally. You can get a gram of heroin delivered, a gram of cocaine delivered. You can have an E delivered. The N-bomb can be delivered. Prescription medication will be delivered faster than a pizza right now. Right now. Yeah. But I, I think, Neil, yes, impunity, I, I understand where you're coming from when you say that. But I, I do think the scale of the problem, and I don't think anybody understands the extensive, complex nature of the drug distribution network in Cork and for that matter all over Ireland in that there are so many people, and going back to what you were talking about earlier on, when young people start to use, um, they, because they can't afford the drugs, they unwittingly become part of the distribution network because they are asked to store drugs and distribute drugs and that kind of thing in order to feed their habit. Mm. And very often when the guardy go out and make a successful arrest of somebody who is carrying an amount of drugs that would be considered to be possession with intent to supply. They are merely arresting somebody who is a foot soldier and in the grander scheme of things really isn't a player And that all. foot soldier, one of the texters said that that foot soldier then who's, had, who's been raided still owes the debt to the dealer. Correct. And then and the family have to pay. Yeah, I understand. It's, you're, caught in a, you're, caught in, you're really caught in claws, aren't you? You are. And more importantly than that, Neil, that foot soldier, as we described them, there are probably another 10 people waiting to take his or her place if he gets taken out by virtue of a raid or a criminal prosecution or whatever goes on with the Gardaí. I was looking at research there this morning. You know, I know we talk about the issues that we have with, say, alcohol in this country. But when you look, I don't know whether you've seen this research, is the top 10 European countries with the higher rates of alcoholism we're not in the top 10. Um, Hungary's first, then Belarus, Latvia, Poland, Austria, Lithuania, Sweden, Switzerland, Finland, the UK. And we're 11th. Um, it may be bad, but there are countries a lot worse. Do we, do we beat ourselves up too much about it? Um, I, I haven't seen a piece of research in actual fact. The last piece of research I would have seen, um, alcohol consumption per capita per year was falling. Um, and we had moved down the European League table somewhat. I think the manner in which we drink is quite harmful. So I think simply looking at the per litres per capita per year is a little bit misleading in that respect. In the sense um, that they had, really can't identify. Um, the, well, you can look at the amount of alcohol that's purchased and divide it by the population and come up with a figure. But the big problem in Ireland is binge drinking and drinking to harmful levels. And that creates more problems 
than necessarily the amount of drink we are taking over the course oh, of the I year. Oh, I see. So we may be 11th on the league table, but we may have more hospital and A&E emissions and more people in treatment. Exactly. Gotcha. Oh, drinking is harmful in nature. And the other thing I feel, Neil, that amongst the younger generations, there could be more of a shift to illicit drugs, particularly and, cocaine. Over and do you time. talk to those young people when they come in for Dream to has it as to how it all started? And if so, did they say, because everyone's doing it, it's just normal now? Yes. And I, I suppose that young people feel pressure um, to be part of the, the dynamic and the group in which they hang around and if drinking is the norm in that group well then they feel that they must do it as well in order to be seen as normal because adolescence is a very critical time in somebody's life and it's not necessarily a time in their life where they want to be seen as standing out from the crowd No but you probably wouldn't mind them at a certain age maybe uh, experimenting with uh, you know alcohol I mean I don't mean I don't mean burning liquor now for instance I'm talking about beer for, as, as it used to be back in the day you probably wouldn't be too worried about that, but you would be about N-bombs or coke or heroin. Yes, absolutely. But I suppose the concern is, Neil, when young people start to take alcohol um, underage, which is probably the norm in this country at this stage, because there is such an absence of education about other things that they will come in contact with, that being under the influence is causing a domino effect and it's causing them to do other things which are really more concerning than the drinking, I think, anyway. Mm, mm. Listen, I don't mean to jump any cues or lists or anything, but if I send on this email to you from this uh, this girl with regards to her heroin addiction at the age of 22, could you take a look at it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. We'll be delighted do, I, 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 don't know, I don't know you to make any promises or anything, but she has asked me to intervene and she says... Um, I'm writing to you in the utmost hope that someone out there can please save my sister's life before she's another soul lost forever. So I would like to do that if possible. Yeah, sure, Neil, that's no problem at all. Thanks as always, Michael. Great to have you on the end of the phone. I always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Michael Geer and the Addiction Counselor with Coonvera. So if you are listening to that young girl who sent me this email on behalf of her, her sister, hopefully there will be some light at the end of the tunnel and things will improve for her. And as you say, that she won't be another soul lost forever. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. There's chances of being caught by a speed van faster, many people would say. A few men this morning have been received a speeding fine in the post after passing a speed van. Apparently, I was doing 56 in a 50 zone outside Blackpool. Them speed vans are very efficient, aren't they? The road is 60 all the way along. And then just as you go by Dulux, it turns from 60 to 50. And the speed van is just sitting there waiting for you. So if you're doing 60, you have two choices. Either slam on the brakes and brake check the car behind you, or do what I did and get caught for three penalty points and a hefty fine. I'm all for speed vans in dangerous parts of the road, but how can they say that these vans are for safety when they're forcing drivers to drive unsafely to avoid being caught? The whole thing smacks to me of underhandedness. Uh, are these guys on commission or watch with the numbers that they can cash? Can't come on the air. But I wonder if other listeners have been caught in the same way in other areas. Yes, they are very, very strategically positioned in areas like you've just described. And sometimes you don't get the chance to be able to drop the speed because the speed van is right on top of the zone reduction, if you like. I know what you're saying. 
And people say, oh my God, they're so efficient when they catch people doing 56 and a 50 and other things then with regards to criminality and law and order go unchecked. And I was saying earlier this morning that there are families in Cork, some Cork housing estates are so bad now with drug dealing and drug use uh, that law-abiding good families are being forced out of their own homes and out of their housing estates where they were trying to rear their families. Part of that email is worth repeating um, with regards to the desperation that families are in crisis. Ten families I mentioned this morning with kids between 12 and 18 who are in debt to drug dealers, says one emailer. One family had to pay 30 grand to five different pushers last week. Many of the children who owe these debts are being given the drugs to stash by the dealers. And then if there's a raid, as Michael Guerin was saying, if the guardie raid a house and find a stash, the dealers will still be looking for the money equivalent for the drugs that have been seized by the guardie. And when the children can't pay... It's the parents who are intimidated into paying. Um, we, uh, If we are late in coughing up the cash, our lives are threatened and our property damaged. You have no idea how bad it is out there and the dealers are dealing with impunity. Let me go to line six on this because Bill has an opinion. Bill, good morning. Hello there. So what do, what do you make of that? I was just recapping it just ahead of your own. What, what would you do? Well, Neil, it's a very difficult situation. Um <sighs> Like I'm a, I'm a very respectable person, but I, 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 you know, I have three kids that are grown up. Unfortunately, they did not get into drugs. We don't even smoke. Um, we drink moderately. Um, it, 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 it's basically down to a risk reward basis. Um, like if if, if you're suddenly told that you owe some drug dealer thirty thousand euro, um, and you you don't really know that by paying it, you're actually going to um, finish the debt because they could come along the following week and say no 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 and you actually owed us 40,000 so yeah you know yeah, last week it was never, last month it was 30 yeah. now this month it's exactly. 40 yeah it never ends Neil um, like when I worked in the UK many years ago I, I, I had an armed robbery against me I worked for a fast food company and I'd gone to my head and to be honest with you I, I was anxious and I'm not trying to down, downplay it but I wasn't that afraid, I'll be honest, I'm not afraid to die, I know that, I'm in wow. my 60s, I, no I'm not, a lot of people aren't afraid to die, believe me, it's how you die that people are afraid of, um, a friend yeah, of mine yeah, yeah, but you'd, last year yeah. in his sleep and, you know, it was probably the best way to go, like Shinzo Abe, he died instantly more or less, it's the best way to go. It's the former Japanese Prime Minister yeah. who was assassinated. Yeah. We all yeah. die eventually. You yeah, know, but, yeah, but just on, just on that topic, that, that is true. We, we all do, in spite of our best wishes not to. But it's, yeah. you don't want to die too soon or too young. No, 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 you don't. But if you're faced with a situation where, you know, you're seriously, even psychopathic criminals threatening you with that money, it's a situation like people were in a 9-11 when they're on the, on the plane and they, they knew they were going to die. And, you know, your back is to the wall. Um, and that's the situation I would see that as. And and were you in that situation that. when you had that gun to your head? Yes, I had a gun to my head. It was a real gun. Four black fellows, they burst into a um, fast food um, restaurant on, on a Sunday evening. I, I shouldn't have even been there, to be honest. I was an assistant manager. I just came down nice evening to do wages. In those days, we used to fax the wages off um, to okay. head office. It wasn't all international. 
like the, well, there wasn't that, but yeah. not, like this, like, was it known that there was uh, cash on the premises then of a substantial? Well, they didn't point. get all the cash. Okay. They got a very small amount of it. It just showed like you're going to rob a place. Okay, so what's going through your head then? What's going through your head when there's a gun to my it? head? Well, fell a burst into the office where I was, and at first it does take a split second. You know, it's like they say your reaction in car instance is split second to realize. <laughs> I actually thought because we had some black people working for us, it was London, like, you know, um, and I thought it was a bit of a joke. You know, the balaclavas on, <laughs> I kind of laughed at first, and then I realised, yes, there were three other guys outside with very long knives. Yeah, that would kill somebody, you, you know, um, very quickly. Um, I, and I basically, a man came in, spoken bad language, which I won't repeat in your show, mm-hmm. and give me the effing money and all the rest, blah, 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 blah. And... and with a safe that you turn three ways, one to the left, one to the right, one to the left. And I missed it the third going. A man ran the gun to the back of my head. He said, give me the effing money. And I turned around to him and I said, if you want your effing money, you'll leave me alone. And he, got, he was quite surprised at that. He was young. They, their intention wasn't to kill people. It was to rob the place. Mm. And they didn't even do a good job of that. Mm. And basically, I handed him the, the, the cash tray, which had only a £100 deposit on it. And basically, at that moment, he actually had his gun facing the ceiling as he held onto the tray. And I tell you, I was very aware of what I could have done. And if I was by myself with him, he would have had a fist ramped at his head. He, I probably would have been out up for using undue force. Mm. Um, and, you know, but I didn't because there were the rest of the staff were being held hostage mm. outside. I mm. was very, very aware of what I was doing. And I gave him the money. They went out, hosted us all to the back, and then they started asking us to empty our, our um, pockets. Small amounts, five pence, ten pence. And I just looked at one of them straight in the eye, and I remember the look he gave me, really hard look. I said, look, for heaven's sake, you have your money, don't you? And you just leave us alone now. And they ran out the back then, and myself and the supervisor, these guys had four routes to take. And me and him decided on two of the routes, and unfortunately we didn't... Um, we picked the two wrong routes, but we found a whole trail of coins. You didn't pursue. Um, you didn't pursue people with a gun. Oh, we did pursue them with oh, a yes, gun. They're carrying them. a gun. Yes. I mean, what would you want? Why would you want to do? It's not your money. It's insured. No, no, money. I wasn't going to attack. No, I wasn't going to attack them. Neil. What I wanted to do was see the reg number. Even if it was a stolen car, they'd still have to go some distance. We're trying to get information. But it wasn't your. Like it wasn't your money. You know, why, why no, it wasn't. That? But I, I, I'm very much, uh, I suppose, too much a man of principle in some ways. I Did don't you? care if it's my money or not. It was yeah. a wrong thing to do. They were threatening the staff who were working for me, and the supervisor was running the shift at the time. They were threatening us. They were also threatening me as well. So, with that gun to your head, was there any time you thought, "This is how I'm going to go"? Yeah, I did. <laughs> like we all uh, go, Neil. I'm still here, you know. I do have a faith in life. I, I don't, I'm not sure if I believe in a God, to be honest. Like one of your, the guy you were talking to about drugs earlier said he wasn't sure when he implied that. Like, he was talking there. about, well, that was more to do with the, with the, with miracles, you know. Yeah. With miracles, yes. And it's the same context. I, I do believe there is something helping us through life. Whatever. But how did you, I'm just, I'm curious, maybe I'm, maybe I'm nosy, but I'm curious as to what's going through your mind when you think that this guy desperate for money and you failing to open the safe, he's going to shoot you in the head. What's going No, I opened the safe. No, but there was the time when, there was a time when you were struggling and you're thinking, but what's going through your head, your mind? There wasn't a lot going through it. Like I, I basically turned on him in annoyance, really, because I, 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 I just missed 
like with these fakes, if you miss, if you go a digit over or something, you, you have to start again. So, yeah, you know, I was purely annoyed that I was doing the best I could to get him the wretched money. So desperate for it. I, I, that's, um, you know, just leave me alone, you'll get your money. And he got his money. And the, the way he even held it, he had a clue, really. Like uh, holding his gun had, wasn't pointing at me any longer. Um, like many years ago, I did fire guns. I was in the FCA when I was much younger. So I have fired guns. I've fired submachine guns and all that. And a much older version of the ones now, the old 303s and that. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it's not like we're all here for a purpose. You know, I, I believe in reincarnation as well. So I'm not, you know, I don't want to die. I do the best I can not to. But if it happens, it happens. And I believe I'm very much a fatalist, I suppose. So I. You know, What's the point? The what is the point in believing in you know? reincarnation? If you do come back, you never know that you were there before. You're, you have no connection with former lives. So reincarnation that's, that's, is a bit of a bit of a cod, really, isn't it? Or well, that's job. another day's discussion because some people do actually remember their previous lives. They do deja vu and all that. They do actually remember, and there's a, there's a certain amount of proof. Yeah, but it would be a better thing if reincarnation just picked up from where you died, though, wouldn't it? Well, it, it does. In one sense, I believe it, it basically you have lessons to learn. Um, you know, if you don't, I don't know, like an extreme example would be, let's say you're a very arrogant, rich person in this life, that maybe in the next life you come back in a much more humble position, you know, where you do have to watch every penny you spend. And, you know, we have lessons to learn, like, um, and we keep learning them as we come back. So like if you... The idea of only having one life, I find, I, I, I've always found, even as a kid, I found that a bit extreme. In the Catholic Church, it's, it's strongly rumoured that there are books hidden in the Vatican which basically reveal they talk about reincarnation but they've been purposely concealed because the Catholic Church doesn't want, they want to think that, oh, you have to be good in this life or else, that's it. Yeah, but uh, there's something very arrogant, though, about believing in things like reincarnation, that we as a species would be, I mean, or do dogs have reincarnation, cats, budgies, um, yes. rats? Yes, so, well, I, I don't know how far it goes down to. Why should it be just us as a species? Like, if God created everything, why are we the ones that get reincarnated? Well, I'm not sure if God did create everything. That, that's the, the, the team, I believe. I, I don't want to give you a whole day's discussion of this. But I, I, I'm not sure if God did create everything. Oh, I mean, I'd love to have, I'd love to talk on air with people who have no, had uh, no. deja vu experiences or believe that they were reincarnated or well, can well, remember. I f- I'd, Bill, I'd spend an I, entire I morning had. talking to people who had former lives. Believe me, yes. love it. Well, maybe, maybe if you invited people on, because there, there's an awful lot. In, I know the internet can be a load of rubbish, but there's a lot in the internet of children. Do children remember it more because they, they they're closer to death? Up to like there was one child nine years old, which was quite a distance. But their children are three or four years old, who are only three or four years away from the other life, basically. Mm. And they do remember things. They, they like one guy and one thing I saw even called his father a, a, a nickname that he has as a child that his father had called him. And he, the guy was astounded. How on earth did he know that? You know, and there are things like that. They, they, they you know, there, there's information about. Various parents, and also there was another girl to to do with the Oklahoma bombings, and she was actually the reincarnation of someone who died in that, and she was able to go back and identify exactly what happened, and the police didn't even have that information, or or they only had the very specific information that they hadn't released to the public. I'm fascinated so, by all of that. I, I know, really am. I'm, I'm fascinated I, about I'm fascinated about people who say 
I, you know, I had a miracle, you know, I, pr- I prayed for something or I manifested something or I asked the universe for help and I got it. Well, there, there was a, a program and, uh, okay, I don't know if it's true or not, I haven't verified it, but there was a little boy went into hospital with a brain tumour and he was only, I don't know, he was seven or eight years old and the, the, the doctors um, operated on him and they, did, <laughs> they didn't just find one big tumour, they found a massive pile of small tumours and basically they said to the parents, they said, look, I'm very sorry, your child is going to be dead, whatever, in a week or whatever. And they prayed and they prayed. And a month later, that child walked out of that hospital. And the doctor interviewed on the program I saw, he said, there are some things we just do not understand. They were baffled by it, were they? Now, maybe it, that was a pure con, but I find it hard to believe. Okay, no, 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 no. they're the con. I mean, I, there's I, an awful lot going on there, Neil, and why are some people... And there's another fellow, Jose Arrigo in Brazil, if you want to, back in the 60s, 70s, he did unbelievable miracles, and they were miracles on people using an unsterilized knife. Um, he, he took cancer some people, he cured them of all types of things, and the medical community, he was actually put in jail because they couldn't accept, he wasn't a qualified doctor. He was an ordinary guy, and he was reputedly um, taken over by the spirit of a Dr. Fritz. It, this is all in line, and it's well documented. He's been around for a long time. And he spoke in a German accent. And this guy, Josia Rigo, had never learned German in school. He had very moderate education. He was a miner. He worked in some mining or iron ore mine. And he, 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 he wasn't super, but he wasn't, you know, an academic or anything. And he was curing these people of all types of things. And there's an awful lot to this life that, you know, we, we would probably only get a small piece of the jigsaw when we eventually die. Okay. Okay. Um, Just in the point of the the robbery, were they ever caught, incidentally? They they were caught, and the supervisor actually, as much as he could identify, like they had very good balaclavas on, and there were four black young fellas, like, you know, how do you identify, like, four white fellas, anybody? It's very difficult. Um, As far as the drug dealers go, yeah. Yeah, okay, so you have a a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister with a 30 grand drug debt that will be 40 grand in August. What would you do yeah. about it? Um, I, I, I probably, I probably would weigh up the pros and cons of actually dealing with it myself. Now I know there's a huge network, and you'll be drawing a gang war. There are all types of risks. Um, the guards can't seem to do very much, as I, I knew myself before even hearing, you know, what, what was said in your program not long ago. Um, they do the best I can. Like I can't understand why the guards don't entrap them all. There was a law against entrapment years ago. I remember in nightclubs they weren't allowed to go in or something as plainclothes cops and even catch them. But like, uh, but I think I think they could they could operate undercover. I mean, I think that would be certainly admissible in a court of law. But your text said that you'd look for a hitman to clean up the mess. Well, that, that was probably a, 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 I, I would weigh up the possibility. Yes, because I would be in a situation, Neil. To be honest, where what is the worst? Yeah, no. but even if you did have a hitman and took out the person who was looking for the debt to be paid, I sound as if it's an episode from from Ozark. To be honest with you, but but no, the, but the debt you, doesn't go away. You you you've taken out a you, you've got a hitman to take someone out, but somebody else will come looking for the debt then, and that'll be fifty. Yeah, but you 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 could track the people behind the people behind the people behind the people down the line, um, and once you've taken one out, then of course it would it would start some kind of um, you call it some kind of gang situation and. But the thing is, when is this going to stop? 
Number one, it's getting worse. I don't, I don't see your idea as a solution, to be honest with you. Bill. Well, no, it's not a solution, but it's just one method. Like, what, 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 what do you do? Just pay them the money? Which is, yeah, well, that is, that is what's happening right now in no. our city. I've mentioned the 10 families that have kids between 12 and 18 in debt to drug dealers. Uh, one family, 30,000 euro to five different pushers last week alone. Yeah. 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 Like, well, Parents like, are paying the debt. But is the debt actually fully paid? That's the thing. Is it fully paid? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you know, okay. You know, that, that, that's the fear. That's the fear I would have. And like the gods really should entrap these people. You know, it's not rocket science. They should entrap them. They should go online and pretend to be buying it themselves, like they do with child porn and all that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's not rocket science again. Like I, I do it for them if they want. They want to pay me to, you know, go online and pretend I'm. I want some drugs delivered somewhere. Sure, I'd be a decoy for them. Yeah, you would think that would be like shooting fish no. in a barrel, but it's like a it's like a Medusa. You cut off one head and two grow, you know, or ten grow. That's the problem. You yeah, see. well, then you keep you 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 entrap the whole lot. Like there has to be a way of getting to the top, you know, because if there isn't a way of getting to the top, we're going to end up like Colombo, like Colombia used to be, and they're even struggling now after various individuals have been taken out of the equation all right pleasure talking to you bill look after yourself okay. take care for now text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 0818104106 back after the break get it off your chest text the neil brinderville show now 0868104106 red fm and i've been thinking actually of say families that have to pick up the incurred drug debt and pay it back to a pusher or a dealer up the chain on behalf of a family member and that's where you talk about a family unit knowing about it. But what, for instance, if it was just one member of the family knew about it, like ma'am knew about it, only um, mother knew about it, or whatever the case may be, or, or dad knew about it, and the rest of the family didn't. So you had one family member who was carrying the drug debt and the worry and the anxiety of it and trying to cobble the mind together on their own without wanting to worry the rest of the family about a five grand or a 10 grand or a 30 grand drug debt. And they were trying to sort it out on their own. I bet that's the case of us. It's not just families. Sometimes it could be a mother or a father who don't tell anyone and just know of it themselves that the dealer has made a particular approach to the mother and she carries that load on her own. Uh, text 0868104106 on that and lots more besides. Uh, just one or two of it uh, on this. I worked with a man in his 60s about 10 years ago. After chatting for a bit, he told me, that his son committed suicide because of a drug debt, took his own life. While standing outside the graveyard, he was thanking people for attending the funeral and was approached by a man who whispered in his ear at the funeral, the man said this, your son's debt is now your debt. You owe me 20,000 euro and I'll be in touch. Can you imagine that, Neil? No, I can't actually. It put shivers down my spine even reading it out. At the funeral of his son, who sadly uh, took his own life, uh, the father was approached at the funeral itself. Can't come on air as the guy I'm talking about may recognise me, but two years ago, uh, a lad took his own life due to spiralling drug debt in a rural area of Cork. The dealer that uh, this kid was hooked on, uh, hooked on to the family. Uh, he was a family friend, but no one knew his shady side. In fact, he shouldered the coffin. The following day, he called to the parents to inform them that the debt was now their debt. See, two very similar stories are getting a real insight into how it operates and how it happens and how the debt 
is inherited. Uh, text 0868104106. Some weeks back, I chatted on air with Michelle, who was living in her car for weeks and weeks on end, and... Uh, you know, the bones of 20 months of her life, uh, she was without a home. There's no issues with regards to addiction, uh, you know, um, in her 40s. Um, she was in and out of her car. Uh, we tried to help as best we could, and a lot of her life had to do with either being in the car or sofa surfing or pet sitting or house sitting, minding people's homes when they're away. She uh, one or two times was in Simon, but felt very unsafe in there. Um, one of the experiences in Simon was for a week in Christmas in 2020 when she was the only woman with maybe three or four men and didn't feel safe. She said there was lots of uh, drinking and uh, lots of issues with regards to the men. She was slept with her bed up against the door. I remember that conversation at the time. Tried to help her. A lot of people out there uh, did get in touch with me. Uh, asking to be able to help Michelle or to get her somewhere where she could stay with them. And there were one or two offers of um, actual, you know, a, a house or, or, or a flat for her. And one case, a lovely little cottage. But I think there was issues then with regards to HAP and, and stuff like that. But I, but I do know that when I was away, uh, Mick Mulcahy was on the air and I was having a conversation at the time with uh, with Minister Michael McGrath, and he brought up the issue of uh, of Michelle's plight on air with him. Uh, you might think this is a little unfair of me, Michael McGrath, Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, but on the issue of speaking truth to power, uh, and I don't want to doorstep you anyway, but I think it's important notionally that we do this. Uh, last month we spoke to Michelle, who spent 18 months living in and out of her car. When she spoke to us, she's been spending the previous three weeks living in a Renault Clio. This is the real effect of the cost of living uh, on people. And just for the noble notion of letting the more powerless be heard by the powerful, or most powerful, uh, I'm going to just play Michelle's interview for you here. Just a short clip. Do you have very down, though? The likes of your good self for sleeping in a car for 19 months. Um, you do, yeah. Lonely? Um, definitely, yep. Yeah. It's, it's hard because that's, that's one of the biggest problems is how will I pass the day. Sometimes your day is organised around if you have some type of appointment, you know. So so you just have to kind of ride it out. You just have to wait for it to pass. It takes a lot of effort as well to continuously ring your contacts. So at the moment I would be very isolated and not in contact with, with friends and family because it becomes too difficult. Because you're bringing all of this onto other people. You mean you don't want to worry them, is it? Yeah, it comes to the point where you don't want to worry them because a lot of them know that you have no options. Like, what are you going to do? Nothing is going to change. Michelle is an exception, Minister, uh, granted, but that, that is some people's reality. Are Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael on the Greens, and can you promise, are you going to do enough? Well, I'm very sorry to hear um, that story, and uh, I, I don't know the full background, but I'm more than happy to, to try to help Michelle. There's no need for anyone to be sleeping in a car, uh, and certainly sleeping in a car for that length of time is is not acceptable in, in a decent society. And um, and you know that, that offer is there. Um, if you want to put me in touch with Michelle, Mick, I'll certainly look into her her situation and see how we can help. All right. Uh, apparently, he gave Michelle a ring on Friday and said he'd make a few phone calls into City Hall, of course. And that's very noble and laudable. And thank you for that. He shouldn't have to do that. And in fact, it's probably when you think of it and you drill down into it, not the right thing to do, because that means that other people who also are in a similar situation and on a list or whatever the case may be, just like Michelle, may be bumped aside so that meet Michael McGrath's request for Michelle to be sorted would be met by City Hall. So it doesn't fix anything, really. It solves one person's problem, but it actually creates or creates a, a ripple effect for others. But um, she just joins me by phone, incidentally. Michelle, good morning. 
good morning, Neil. Um, did anything come of our conversations and uh, the many people who wanted to uh, to wanted to help? Um, if you you mean your listeners, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, there were like uh, yeah um, offers of you know um, there were some offers of of maybe using people's homes while they went on holidays and. Um, there were um, two offers from landlords as well, but um, those offers were complicated because um, uh, because uh, cost the cost of the rentals, which I suppose, in all reality, you see, I suppose the Irish government is is in one way expecting landlords um, landlords uh, set really low rents. Yeah, and there were offers of no. accommodation from landlords, but the rents yes, were still the high. Yeah, so yeah. for example, for people on low, low incomes, you'd have to rely on the state subsidy, the HAP. But the thing is, you know, so I suppose I'll just say for a single person with no dependents um, in, in Cork, you know, you have to find a rental for 550 euros. How much? So 550 euros is what the government are, are, are setting for single people if you are to avail of That's HAP. Yeah, the property has to be 550, so I suppose if you find a one bed for 1,100 euros, you're not going to be able to avail of HAP because it's, it's too expensive. But equally, if you're on too low an income, you can't meet that rent. Yeah, the so the, the HAP for a single person is 550, and the Echo says this morning that there's no properties available to rent in Cork for tenants in HAP. And you're, yeah, you're, and you're honest, describing it's been that. Like that. Yeah, it's been like that for a long time, but now finally, at least it's officially out there in, in, in Simon Lockdown's report in the Echo today, you know. Yeah. That, that is actually official now, although a lot of people like myself would have been aware of it for a very long time. Yeah. Like that for a very long time. So even with even with the social welfare contribution plus the HAP, it still would be well short. It would be somewhere in the region of your entire income, if you include HAP, could be... Six fifty, seven fifty, maybe eight fifty max, uh, and you're that's yeah, before so, you so feed yourself or turn on a, a radiator yeah, or light it's a the top ups. It's the top ups. The, the private amount you have to pay. They call it a top up. Anything above the five fifty that you have to pay the landlord, it's called a top up. And it shouldn't be called a top up, really. In your case, it's almost like a fifty fifty contribution, isn't it? Yeah, but what the councils, the local authorities, the councils say is that's a private arrangement between you and your landlord. I know. So, I know. so the council will will only deal with the social housing aspect, which is. 15% but if you could only just get a job, right, wouldn't that make a huge difference? It, it would in the short term, but like HAP is very complicated. There are a lot of problems with HAP in the short to probably, possibly, you know, medium term, it, it would be okay, but there's a long term issue then and things like when, you know, the landlord ups the rent and all that type of thing. Um, it, it, you know, I've been in the HAP system, so I kind of I'm aware of all the problems. You know, and if your income goes down too much and that type of thing, if you fall out of work again, if you get sick, if you can't work for a month, things like that. Um, the HAP is very complicated in, in a way because of, of because you can't find rentals. You know, the rentals should be within a certain bracket because the the reason why you're trying to evade of the state subsidy called HAP in the first instance is because you're on a low income. Um, and you know, I'm talking about even people on retail incomes. You know, if, if people on low low incomes of three fifty a week, for example, and at the moment I wouldn't be in a job that I could earn a lot more, although I have capability because I do have qualifications. And in the qualifications so, that you have, are there any jobs yes. available right now that meet your qualifications? Um, it's you see, right now, Neil, I suppose my situation has slightly improved in, in that I have had some relief in that. I'm not sleeping every night in the car. I'm getting breaks out of the car. But if I could explain to you that what that has enabled me to do is, is um, you know, I'm in better health. My days are, are going better. So that's what I'm working up towards. So you, you need 
to be on the ball, you need a lot of energy to, to like find a proper job. Oh, for God's so sakes, you can't be sleeping in a car and going to work and have full of the joys of spring of a Monday which is morning. Why, no, which is I why, understand which, that. Which is why I hoped that I could slip into a retail job. Retail is something I had a lot of experience of in my student days. So I've worked in all types of shops with so something that I, I could slip into easily. And that was what I was hoping for you know, just to get a bit settled and then fall into a job that would be a lot easier for me to manage. Um, but I'm just not there yet because since I spoke to you these number of weeks, you know, my situation is improving in that I'm slipping in and out of places. I've mm. had some offers of, of, you know, while people are away and that. So I'm kind of getting there, but I'm not back in work yet. And I suppose I'm just talking about my situation, which is I'm not currently in employment. Mm. So, so yes, the whole part of the hack as well is you can go out to work and you can improve your situation, but um, it's not my current it, it, situation. Yeah, and it always falls short of, of of what people need to survive. It does, it does, you know, and especially with all the increase. The amount you can work. Living. Yeah, 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 more so yeah. than ever now. More so than ever. Yeah. So at the, do you think that Michael McGrath's intervention will make a difference? Um, well, he did ring me on Friday, so I, I thanked him for that. And we had, you know, he asked me a lot of questions, and he definitely said he'd look into a few things. But um, I did say he asked me something at the end of the phone call, and I did say to him that I didn't actually think that there was any solution, you know. But um, I, I don't know. I don't. What can Michael McGrath do, you know? Um, uh, I did also see I had been in contact with me Hall Martin's constituency office as well in Cork, and and I've asked for kind of reconfirmation of this but what Michal Martin's uh, Cork office is telling me is to just avail of silent services. So because of ringing your show and because two landlords had put forward an offer of potential rental, it meant I had to get back in contact with the council but on the back of that, the council are telling me that I can go into Simon, Simon so avail yeah. of Simon yeah. services. Yeah. Um, which for me, you know, great for some people, definitely wouldn't work for me. No, and, and I think being yeah. on your own and able-bodied without children or dependents also yeah. puts you somewhat down the list, doesn't it? Uh, in general in Ireland, uh, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, and there's also kind of, from the council, there's also this kind of idea that you can just live with a family member or a parent or, or something like that. So, so a kind of, you're not really recognised. We, we covered that in the last conversation. That's not possible, is it? It's not, no. No, no, but 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 equally, e- equally, like I, I don't even understand that that a, an adult in their forties and their fifties that you know just because you don't have a child that I know you, you I can't know. expect that you that you can actually go out and live on your own. You you have to just go and live with a family. It, mm. it doesn't, you know. Mm. Surely everybody is allowed to be autonomous. But mm. this is kind of policy, I suppose. But. Um, so I, I've asked for confirmation from Eon Martins and I suppose I did, uh, you know, I suppose I did raise the issue with Michael McGrath as well about, because I'm aware of the fact that the Irish government is, um, for, you know, they're finding thousands and thousands of bedrooms in Ireland at the moment because there's a need for it. So I did ask him, how is it then that somebody like myself is, is asked to evade of Simon's Oh, you're, you're referencing Ukrainian refugees, I guess. Well, uh, people coming in. I mean, it's not just it's uh, anyone. But well, you don't want to go. You don't want to go to um, uh, a refugee centre, though, or a hotel bedroom, do you? Would you? No. You see, what it is at the moment is is, is a hotel bedroom is safer than sleeping in Good. available yeah. Simon services. It is. Yeah, it is. So it's not it's not a solution, but it's also better than sleeping in my car. So that's the reality so that's of it. Of, yeah. yeah, that's the reality of it. So, yeah. so that's where that comes in. But um, 
I've also I also you know met with an independent um, councillor, so I mean, he's 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 willing to look into it for me as well. Will you stay in touch then in the coming days and weeks? Um, I will stay in touch with any updates. It's just at the moment the updates. I, I think that it'll take time. And I did ask Michal Martin's office as well in an email on Friday, so so I'm waiting for them to get back to me. I just asked him, is is that, I, I asked him, you know, is it Fall's view as a party, you know, that people like myself, that their only option is, is to avail of silent services. So I'll, I'll definitely wait for an answer back okay, on that. Okay. I'll wait for an answer from Michael and um, I don't know what else to say, just things have improved and that I'm not sleeping in the car all of the time. Okay, okay, you know? okay. Yeah. Stay in touch then and uh, keep me in the loop, will you? Um, I will. I All will, right. yeah. Okay, Michelle. Okay, thanks. Neil. All the best for now. Take care. Okay, Take you. care. Bye. Cheers. Bye. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. Okay, I'll come back to text a little later on, but we were chatting this morning um, about uh, miracles. And, um, you know, one would think that um, a miracle is one thing or, you know, where somebody or somebody or something, it could be, it could be God, it could be whatever you believe in yourself is the intervention that changes your life for the better, you know, a miracle. It could also be offering it up to the universe or uh, manifesting a change in your own life yourself by the power of positive thinking. So I was chatting with all of that this morning. And the reason I started talking about it was because I was chatting with Graham, uh, who was um, on the Dublin to Cork train when he met with the chap who was just out of Coonvera and family couldn't take him back anymore and he was uh, drinking cans on the train and what have you. During one part of the conversation, this young man said to Graham that he was looking for signs, anything at all that would help him in his darkness uh, to take him out of the darkness of the past 24 years. I, I got the impression from Graham's conversation that the lad's family do love him, but they just can't take any more. The upset that's been caused in the home because of his drinking and his addiction issues. And they are engaging in, in tough love, saying, look, you can't come home anymore. We just can't do this with you anymore. So that was kind of the backstory of this, because while I was away, I was reading an article in RSVP Country magazine. It was a, an interview with um, the um, uh, family behind uh, Christoph, Christoph Swing. And I spoke with, with Darvel on the air some, some time ago. And, you know, Derek, I know him. He played in studio here with us this band there some months back. I've also spoken to Mary Burke, uh, mum to Darvila and to Derek, and wife, of course, to Mike. And part of the interview spoke of Mike's Parkinson's uh, diagnosis in October of 2021. And I was sitting there reading it, and I realised that while reading the interview, that I was reading about a miracle, an actual miracle. Now, Mary joins me by phone rather than me reading out the interview. It's better to chat through it. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Neil, and thank you so much for having me on your show. You're always so positive and upbeat, in fairness to you. And you've one more reason to be. I mean, things weren't going well with Mike's Parkinson's diagnosis, were they? No, Neil. Um, and yes, what you've just said there... Um, uh, we have experienced a true miracle in our lives. And this is our experience, Neil. You know, um, I, I suppose to, to start with both Mike and myself, we would have a very deep faith. Yeah. And uh, so when any troubles or sufferings come our way, our faith really gives us strength to bear 
any sufferings, you so, know. So let's but, just stay with that because you say yeah. in the interview that Mike needed your help to do the simplest things like dressing and washing. And mm-hmm. th- things were progressing not in a good way in the sense that the Parkinson's was becoming more and more prevalent. Was that the case? Yes. Well, to go back now, I suppose, uh, to, we know, uh, uh, looking back on it now, there were symptoms five or six years ago, which I would never have realised that it was Parkinson's. And um, What well, were those symptoms, the, symptoms, incidentally? Yes. Um, Neil, one of the first symptoms I know we did notice, uh, looking back on it now, which was a definite symptom, but I didn't realise it at the time, was when he would go to bed at night and I'd be sleeping beside him, he used to lash out and he used to kick me or uh, there was one night he almost broke my nose, but he wasn't okay. aware. He would actually think he was having a fight with somebody. But um, now I know we all have dreams at night and there are nights sometimes that we can have disturbed sleep. So I didn't overthink it, but there were definitely nights that I was saying to him, my God, I think I I should be sleeping actually in a single bed because I am quite afraid that I may not wake up alive in the morning, you know. Yeah, it was very, very frequent. And this is going on for a number of years. And um, so, um, but at the same time, I never overthought it because you you know if you said it to somebody they'd probably say ah sure you know I've had bad nights like that but, but it was restless sleeper no more than that but clearly there was a lot more going on yeah go ahead a lot more going on so he was quite a danger to be sleeping beside that was that was number one and, and I realised from the neurology afterwards that this is can be a symptom, you know, everybody is different, but this can be a symptom. Another uh, symptom I noticed over again, going back over, I suppose, even three or four or five years, um, like I I thought it was poor hygiene. And sometimes I would say to him, Mike, you're not washing your face properly. And I used to have to wash his face and that because there was a lot of kind of yellow scabs on his nose and on his chin and, you know, on his body and that. And uh, I used to say, people think you're not going to, you're not washing properly but but in fact um it, it wasn't the case he as as, as time moved on uh, there was a lot of red blotchy you know blotches on his skin and and scabs and you know his mm. hair and mm. his head and everything so again that was another symptom which we didn't associate in fact i thought it was the way mike wasn't really washing himself yeah because you say his whole body started to slow down his speech was slurred he found yeah. it difficult to do simple That's tasks right. like washing his teeth uh, yeah and then of course he had to stop work that's right. His whole, like, his body slowed down to such a point that he could hardly lift the cup to his mouth. Uh, you know, it was so slow. He found it very difficult to drink water, uh, which was really essential for him. Um, somehow he couldn't kind of get it, his mind around. He'd have the, the, the bottle in his hand and, uh, you know, he'd put the bottle to his mouth, but sipping seemed to be a difficulty for him. Yeah. Um, and I suppose as time moved on, he, he got very, very thin and he lost a lot of weight and um, he had severe constipation which was a huge issue for him Um, you know I'm talking about maybe not going to the toilet for nearly two weeks you know and he encountered great pain and uh, yeah and uh, so and and he got you know he aged a lot and he had a stooped posture and a lot of people would have particularly around uh, maybe over a year ago or more people started to say to me is Mike okay because they people began to know I 
suppose when you're living with somebody, you, you maybe don't even see it as much. But I, I think, of course, it was very obvious to us that there was something going very wrong. And uh, so early in 2021, we, uh, we discussed it with the doctor and the doctor sent him, his doctor GP, uh, Dr. Doran and Carrie Toole sent him for a host of tests above in the South Infirmary. Mm. And uh, I suppose, like, you know, in fact, they had trouble doing colonoscopies for him on two occasions because you know, I mean, not to put a mildly, but it's obst- so blocked up. Yeah. They couldn't just free it. And uh, so, you know, a lot of people really I would have seen Mike, you know, he got so thin, you know, he was just a shadow of his former self. And and I suppose I, being his wife, see the the re- the reality of it because, you know, he needed help showering and even to go to the bathroom. You know, he needed personal help for the most intimate reasons and uh, and are we also talking about somebody who was in terrible pain a lot of pain and he couldn't sleep at night and he would be pacing the floor at night and you know so um but he had to undergo all the tests to eliminate, you know, cancer and all other kind of stuff okay. as well. So uh, all the, uh, those tests came back clear. So, but we still knew things weren't right. Yeah. But um, so he was, he was, he was then referred to a neurologist, and the neurologist, uh, Bowen C U H, uh, very, very quickly in October diagnosed him with Parkinson's. And at that stage, that must have come as a terrible shock. Then, well. It didn't really kneel because I suppose the writing was on the wall. Uh, now, Dr. Dorn, I suppose, in fairness to him, he's, he's, a, he, he's a very knowledgeable doctor and he, he, he had observed him and he said, I, look, he said, I can't diagnose him, but I wouldn't be surprised. He seems to have all the symptoms of Parkinson's, you know. So um, we were prepared, I suppose, far to hear it. But at the same time, no doubt, it's like any diagnosis of, of, a, of a disease of that enormity, enormity you know that... Uh, it's degenerative and will only do one thing and that is get worse. Yes, and that, and that was what we were told, okay. you know, okay. by that there would be stages in it and that, you know, um, so we, uh, obviously, if there was a, for a, a day or two, there was a grieving, I suppose, within the two of us for, but, but again, we came back to our faith and we would have often talked about being faced with a situation like this and we, we were open to accepting God's will, whatever that may be, you know. Okay, yeah. okay, so... Again, to the article, there was one week in November. Is that November just mm-hmm. gone now? November just gone, okay. Neil. That's well, you correct. said, yes. I thought he would die as he was in so much pain and so unwell. You say, on one of the nights he was in agony with pain, we prayed. Just pick up on that night. What What happened? Yeah, I, I remember that night very, very clearly. And um, prior to that, he, for, for, for a number of weeks, he had been pacing the floor at night and I was sleeping in the living room next door to his bedroom and he hadn't been sleeping well. And, and like a lot, I, I didn't, I didn't even tell a lot of people this was going on because I, I you know, a lot, everyone had their own troubles, but people were aware he wasn't well. But I, I, I was very, very worried about him this particular night. And, and, you know, I actually thought I had a funeral pending, you know, and I was thinking, I, I, I didn't think he was going to get through this. He was so unwell and he was really skin and bone, you know, and, um, and he wasn't able to do the simplest things, as I say. Uh, no, uh, uh, that particular night, um, a, a friend of ours called Amel actually, 
actually he's a very holy man and he actually phoned my unexpectedly and uh, we prayed with him but um, so he left Mike with some prayers to say and uh, Mike and myself we prayed and Mike said look I'm going to go to bed tonight he said and I'm going to put it into God's hands and whatever his will is for me but he said I believe tonight that if I trust in God that he will heal me so he went to bed that night Okay, and it says he took the rosary beads and a cross to bed with him that night as he got into bed he asked Jesus and Our Lady to wrap their cloak around him yes that's exactly what he did. I, I, he, I, he, he went into bed that night and I remember him saying, as I was covering him up, he said, Jesus and Mary, please wrap your cloak around me and, 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 and heal me and protect me. And we have a picture at the foot of the bed of Jesus in a red cloak and he's knocking on a door. And, uh, and, and so he was looking at that picture and my tears were flowing down my face that night uh, because he was so unwell and he he had his hands firmly gripped around the crucifix and small crucifix and rosary beads and I covered him up and uh, I, I wasn't able to sleep that night because I, ke- I used to be checking on him regularly and several times that night I went in to check on him and I couldn't believe, I couldn't, I suppose I could believe it but I, 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 I was amazed how, uh, how comfortable he looked and there was no store out of him. So he slept all that night, that was about nine o'clock or nine or ten o'clock, nine and a half past nine, that was around the time and he slept all that night and I checked him several times during the night and I got up the following morning and it was about 9.30, he was still asleep and I was, I said, my goodness, he's had a fantastic night's sleep. In fact, I even looked in, I was saying, is he alive? You know, because I was making sure he was breathing, he was so quiet. But anyway, um, he got up around 10 o'clock and he, ran, he came up to the kitchen and he had a smile on his face, Neil. This is the honest truth. And he he started to kind of jump around the kitchen. And he said, look, he said, all my bones are loose. He said, I can, I can, I can walk better. I can talk better. My speech is slurred. I feel my mind is clear. And he said, I feel I've had a healing, he said. And he hadn't eaten in days prior to that. In fact, he could barely drink. And he said to me, I want to go down to the elm tree to get lunch. He said today, he said, I feel like having a dinner. <laughs> you must and have I was standing there bewildered, were you? <laughs> to be honest, Neil, I, I, I just went over and we hugged each other and there was tears flowing down both our faces. And I said, you've had a healing, a miracle that's happened here. And I said, he said, but I said, I, we would have to go easy on the dinner. I said, because you haven't eaten in weeks. I said, you might get sick. And so we went down. Yeah, we went down to the elm tree, Neil. That's no word of a lie. And he ate a huge, a full dinner, bacon and cabbage, I remember that day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, and, and um, from that day to this, Neil, he, there's been... Now, he has been with his neurologist. He is on a low dose of medication. She had put him, you know, in October on a low dose of medication and of course with view to reviewing it and upping it but we were back with the neurologist in March and she was quite amazed at his great recovery and she said that a lot of people that were as bad as him when she had foreseen him would have maybe come 20-25% of the way with medication but she said for you you have come 95% and that was in March and and added to that this yes. happened within the space of six or seven hours. 
it happened overnight and yeah. so I asked him then what did he feel that night when he went into bed and he said as he went into bed and he spoke those <laughs> words Jesus and Mary please wrap your cloak around me and I trust that you will heal me he said he felt which which is the Holy Spirit like a gush of heat going down through his body and out through his feet and he he um, he went to sleep in such a peaceful sleep you know and um, uh, he he uh, he didn't wake up. He slept all that night. So, um, you know, we truly believe, as I say, um, this is our experience. And uh, and definitely everybody we know has remarked on how well he Okay, looked. so now, he now, Mike now, uh, has continued to improve uh, rapidly. His health's improved dramatically. His, and reading again, absolutely. his appetite has returned. He put on weight. His bowel problems have been sorted. His body functions have returned to normal. He... Yeah. Uh, uh, even goes out on the odd spin on his motorbike and he went back to work. He went back to work and actually, um, we, you know, I had concerns about him driving, you know, because we, we, we didn't want to be dishonest. We notified the insurance company that he had Parkinson's and they thanked us for that. Um, and and uh, I, I, but, but, but the, our doctor, you know, was wise. He said, you will have to go for a mobility test. And he, we had to wait for the mobility test until January. But he passed the mobility test with flying colours. In uh, fact, the, yeah, and he's driving and he's driving his motorbike and he's insured to do so. And, and and his employers, Neil, to speak about them, they were wonderful to him. And they they, they, they took him back, and, you know, uh, after the company doctor had checked him out and she authorised him to go back, yes. Is he, he's not Parkinson's free though, is he? Well, we believe that he has, I mean, from what I'm telling you, uh, we believe, we're not worried about Parkinson's anymore. And he is on a low dose of medication, but we we believe that Parkinson's have no control over Mike's body anymore. So Uh, you, you see this as a miracle from God? A miracle from God. He is a testament of the miracle. All my neighbours and friends can see it. My own family can see it. It's up to them whether they believe it or not. But we truly believe that a miracle has happened in our lives. And and it, it, he is testament to that miracle, Neil, you know. It's not, as others might say, some might suggest the power of the mind where he... Um, manifested the change from within himself or you're saying it was a greater being than us that did this? Oh, absolutely. Because we have encountered in my own life, I mean, small miracles and big miracles. I won't go into it today because it would take too long. But even the crystal swing thing that happened to us, that was as a result of a miracle, I believe, you know. But that's for another day, Neil. But, um, you know, I, I... in my own life um, uh, and in Mike's, uh, our faith has carried us through so much, Neil. You know, and uh, um, and 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 oh no, I I, I have a I, I I have a great belief and trust, and and I truly believe in in God. And do you and, think that there are many Jesus. miracles like this that we just don't oh. hear about? Absolutely, Neil. You know, and 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 I and I am so so grateful for you for giving me the airtime this morning to speak about it because 
Uh, well, I mean, why wouldn't so I? The guy's going, there's a guy going to bed and he's in chronic pain and he's lost yeah. most of his bodily functions, has been helped with yeah. every single thing. As I say, yeah. cro- chronic, chronic pain. Yeah. Diagnosis yeah. of Parkinson's. And he wakes up in the morning and he's jumping around the kitchen wanting to go to the elm tree for bacon and cabbage. It, and that's exactly how it happened, Neil, you know, but Mike, I'm not surprised with Mike because he, he's, a, he's a very gentle soul, a very kind, quiet person. I mean, I'm, I'm blessed to be married to him, really, and he has taught me a lot in life. He, I, I've learned a lot from Mike. He's, he's really, uh, there's something very special about him, uh, not because he's my husband. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he's, he's, in, he's imperfect like all of us. He's human. I'm not saying he's perfect, and, and he knows that as well, but, but there is something... And he he's a very deep um, deep faith. And what does God, he make of know? it all? This first, yeah. Um, well, you know, as I say, he just truly believes that that this has been a miracle in his life, and uh, and he's, you know, we even though we were like delighted with it, but we're not, we weren't surprised that this had happened. You know, we, we I had somehow that night, even though he was very very ill. I I had anticipated that that a miracle could happen, just like uh, my little grandson. I pray going forward that a miracle can happen in his life. You yes, know? yes. Um, but um, but of course, I I I would love for uh, as grandparents, I think we have an, an aunt and uncle. For those of us that, that maybe do not have children, we have a very very powerful role that play in younger people's life to pass on this faith. And um, and and just to know that when Jesus is by your side, you have peace, peace in your heart, which the world is searching for, Neil. You know, mm. and and now if God, we as I say at the start of the conversation, there, if if it was God's will that Mike was not to recover, we were open to that as well. And yeah, because we imagine there are people you wouldn't have been angry, but there would be people who are saying, "Well, I've done that, and I've prayed, and I've asked mm. for you know intervention <laughs> from God, and I am a believer, and I want to go to heaven, and I got no help." Well, you know, I suppose uh, uh, my my own from my own perspective, as as a Catholic and as a person of faith, we have to be open to God's will, and you know. Sometimes, uh, sadly, and my heart go out to those people. I mean, I, I, I really, I, I would never push my faith on anybody. But people, I, but yet I don't hide my faith because that is that's part of me. But, um, but you know, uh, I truly believe that when a person of faith dies, or a person, um, somebody maybe that we love dearly, go dies. But you know, you see, I believe that. That when when we die, that our soul goes to you know if if we, obviously if we've lived if we're in in a good state of grace we 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 you know we can our heavenly home is in 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 heaven and you know our life here is just a very it's just a blink yeah. of an eye really I know but, there must um, be fierce but, comfort you know, in that so belief though isn't there, there? The, the that, next, uh, you know un, uh, you know that unquestioning that, belief that you have must come as a, an incredible comfort to you in your life because for others me included we're fierce doubters of everything we analyze and overanalyze you probably don't do any of that None of that at all, Neil. You know, um, you know, like I don't care if I lose everything in the morning. If you know, as I say, if God, if God decides tonight to take me, I, I truly mean it. I'm open to His will, and um, uh, but it's His choice to to leave me here if that's what He wants to do. But I, I, it gives me great comfort because I have no fear of 
sickness or death, you know, and, and it gives me great Because you know you're that's... going somewhere that's better than here kind of thing, isn't it? That's... Oh, certainly, absolutely, yes, that's right, you know, I, I really do believe that, Neil, you know, and, uh, and my faith gives me that, that uh, you know, that, you know, like, I, I believe that, uh, you know, this is just, this is just a place where, I suppose, where we're really, our, God wants us to be kind and loving to others, but also to, to, you know, to be a witness to his love for us and that as he rose from the dead on the resurrection, that we will also rise and be with him. Mm. In, and, and all of those loved ones have gone before us, you know, they're, they are very, very close to us. So, you know, they're not gone from us at all, you know. And uh, So you so will that, meet all of your loved ones again? Oh, yes, absolutely. Isn't that an amazing belief? That. Isn't that a great belief all the same, though? I mean, oh, that they're waiting yeah. for you. Oh yes, and and I can feel you know very much the presence of. You know, I I'm big into the family tree actually, you know, and uh, so I I I'm going back over generations and generations. But I feel a great closeness to all of those people and my family tree, and I pray for them all. But I I uh, like I know that that you know, that they are interceding for me as well. I, like, there, there, there are small miracles happen in our lives every day, which we we take for granted, Neil. Yeah, know? but what and happened with Mike was not the power of the mind. This was a, oh, a, no. a, a, a miracle in the true sense, you believe? A miracle in the true sense, right. uh, what happened with Mike. And uh, he's a walking testament to that miracle. And and yes, we, we are, you know, even sometimes he does get a bit tired, but that's about the size of it, Neil. But then we pray again and all of a sudden his energy comes back. So, you know, we, we, we're we not, um, we have no fear now of, uh, of, of you know, we're not. We we know that he's going to be okay. And what do people make of the change in him when they see what he did look like and how he is now? People are just amazed, really. You know, because uh, I mean, this time last year, he was he felt like he was losing his mind. You know, he he was like he's like he was here, but he wasn't here. His mind was all over the place, and uh, and like there there was an awful lot going on in his body. You know, he he was physically unwell and mentally unwell in every way. And uh, um, but people are really mesmerised by it, and I think it really has indeed given people uh, you know uh, hope uh, that they. They too can turn to God. No, and you know, in our deepest sufferings, if we turn to Jesus, um, He really does help us through our sufferings. Okay, you know? I'd yeah. love to chat with yeah. other people who may have experienced miracles or interventions like yours because I think it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, that's the yeah. story you've told it one hundred percent honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, I go to bed it, one it night, total, wake up in the morning. Total yeah. honesty, yeah. Neil. Um, as I say, uh, I. Uh, you know, I don't actually go around telling everybody about it because I say, but if people ask me, I tell it as it is, you know, and uh, and and I'm I'm not at all surprised. Like he can walk miracles in our lives, and and you know, um, and and and. and and he has given us that great peace and comfort and uh, and 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 I, I just hope today that maybe somebody listening in, no matter what you're going through that Jesus will walk with you, you know, and our blessed mother as well, you know. All right, well, good to catch up. Thanks for sharing. I'd be interested to see if people have their own stories to tell on the back of your uh, story this morning, Mary, but to yourself and all of the family, and particularly to Mike, best of luck. Thank you so much, Neil. I am so grateful to you. All right, mind yourself, Mary. Cheers. Take care.
God bless. Thank you, Neil. Text 0868104106. If you want to put pen to paper in paper in the digital age and you have a story to share, email neil at redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Busy this morning and a lot of different topics. It's very interesting to hear of other people's stories with regards to miracles or changes in your life that are just, you know, off the Richter scale changes like Mary talks about Mike's situation going to bed at night and waking up as he did the next morning looking for intervention. Now, it could be religious. It may not necessarily be. Sometimes it would be something that you could perhaps manifest change in yourself or others would give it up to the universe. You know, people read the book. Um, you know, The Secret and other books, self-motivating, self-help books and, and things like that. And they change their life that way. But miracles, I'm wondering, are there other ones out there like that? I'd love to hear your story. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. So that and lots more besides this morning. A lot of texts from earlier on today. Um, it's definitely true with regards to families picking up the drug debt of loved ones. I know loads of people whose sons owe money. They've even been suicides due to the pressure. It's all very sad. Another one here. I've lost all faith in the Irish Health Service for addiction services. My sister has been addicted to heroin 15 years now. She's 34. As a family, I can tell you, it has broken us. It's ridiculous how the system is set up. It's evident that it's not working and the problem is only getting progressively worse. Just look at the state of the city as to how bad things are. Um, It's shocking, Neil, to hear that a 22-year-old is hooked on heroin the age of 15. The reality is it's a combination of factors that lead someone down this path. Parenting is somewhat to blame. The person's environment and life events that might make drugs more attractive as a form of self-medication. Um, the only one thing that can't be overlooked either is the person's own choice to do it. But the conversation nowadays is flirting with the idea that hard drug addiction is a disease that can be picked up and this is only giving people excuses. The introduction of injection centers will only add to the problem. They did it on the west coast of America and the number of people living in tents hooked on hard drugs actually went up. Uh, other people then uh, blaming or identifying certain members of uh, the community as being those behind the dealing. I'm not going to be mentioning any sections of the community, uh, but uh, I see a number of texts talking about certain individuals who control much of the drug dealing and drug distribution on Leaside. Uh, our family went through it for years uh, with regards to particular cork dealers. One member of my family tried to commit suicide and they put up the price every week. Um, we can't afford to pay, never could. Uh, yes, indeed, you are right when you talk about the availability of drugs online. Earlier on this morning, I was talking with Seamus where you can go onto Instagram and Snapchat. You can buy whatever you want, heroin, cocaine. You can buy sweets now and chocolate and uh, jellies all laced in drugs. Everything's online now, all drugs, prostitution, etc. Dealers are way ahead of the guardie with regards to cyber activity. Uh, gangs are the biggest dealers now in the city. And you can't mention much of where they come from because they have groups and organizations that re- that uh, represent and deny it. Uh, believe me, but it's 100% true. Um, but uh, then there's people at uh, text here that's identif- identifying a particular group of individuals in uh, an area of Nahini uh, and others in other areas of the north side where they are big into selling drugs. Uh, these are families selling drugs. I know a family is being terrorized by these individuals. The whole on the north side is pl- plagued in drugs. You wouldn't know the half of it. Uh, one more for now. I've had addiction issues myself, but how anyone even tries heroin even once 
is beyond stupid. Well, they do. Whether you want to call them names like stupid or not, they do, for want of a better reason. Um, a lot of it is experimental. You know, Brewery will tell you that a lot of the time, the stages that people go through with regards to issues in their life start with alcohol and the lowering of inhibitions. Ask anyone who spends time on Oliver Plunkett Street, shop owners and all. The place has turned into a cesspit. There are drug deals all over the place, not a guard to be seen. Wednesday seems to be the worst day for it. The place is crawling with them and the guards don't appear to want to know. Uh, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Can I just chat with Patrick because uh, I know he's been waiting for Nate. Patrick, good morning. Neil, how are you? When is the Westlife gig? I think it's on the... Uh, God, I'd have to look at the tickets now again. I think it's in August, isn't it? 12th it's, of August. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, that originally would have been a gig 14th. that was supposed to have been August of 2020, wasn't it? That's correct, yeah. Okay, all right. It was so, on the 29th, I think, of August, just before the pandemic. And that's why a lot of gigs were cancelled and pushed back, etc., etc., etc. No, okay. I know, I just want to say, this is a first world problem, and I know you're going through a lot of hard stuff on the programme there, and I feel a bit but you're, coming No, but you like should, you're entitled to your airtime. I mean, I'm here to talk to everybody. Don't worry, I can go back to lots of other calls. Don't worry about that. What happened? Well, basically, I um, before the pandemic, uh, Ticketmaster had a, a, a line that you can actually call to book tickets and pay for your tickets online. You know, it's very over the phone with your credit card. And I got on to, to them and booked the tickets for um, Westlife for, at the time, we just said for a partner and her daughter. And the situation being, it was started like VIP tickets. They were over 400 quid. Wow. And VIP never, tickets are what, 200 a pop, is it? Yeah, they were 190 something. And then there was a seven euro charge or something. And what do you get for a VIP ticket? Just explain to me. You get two I, tickets I would for 410 euro. Honest, that's, yeah, I would imagine that you're just brought in, you get a programme, you probably just get brought to the seat, you know, better seating areas and you don't have to queue and stuff like that, you know. Is that a meet and greet or anything, no? No. Okay. No, well, well no. Should it be 50, 60,000 at that? No, I'm just, cu- just curious as to what we get for a VIP ticket, a better yeah, seat. Yeah, no, you yeah. won't get anything better like seat that. Better programme, no, it's, okay. it's just yeah. more making your entrance and your seating and everything probably just that bit more comfortable. You get a lanyard and stuff that... It's a VIP ticket and stuff like that, but it pants around in a private, it around in this private bar or something, maybe. No? Probably something, something along that. Line. Okay, okay, okay. So your partner and your daughter were going. Then the gig got cancelled. What happened then? And basically, I've been trying to contact Ticketmaster now since then, and I've sent in even your lads there all the emails. I mean, I'm talking about nearly a hundred emails, like, and ringing everything. Never have I got a response. What do you want to happen? Just uh, where's my ticket? <laughs> and what what was said to be the normal course of event when the gig was cancelled? That, that people they would post be... the tickets out to you in a gift wrapped thing a couple of days after you purchased them. You never even got the original you know, ones, did you? Not, I never got nothing. All, all, all I got is what you what I've sent your team there about the, the seat number that you you know you. You can see the, the printing that you're, you're in. Congratulations, you're in with the seat number, everything like that. Now, I don't know, Neil, if that's good enough to walk down to, to Parky Grave no, with that, but I don't no. think so. No, I looked at all of the different screenshots here and none of them have any kind of yeah. barcode on them or anything like that, so no. No, nothing, It's yeah. just a photocopy so, you could got some from anybody. Tickets will be mean, dispatched by standard post to your billing address. Is the billing address correct? Yeah. Yes. Still hmm. the same. And have they confirmed that they were sent? 
No, they have, they have no contact whatsoever with me. They, that, that was the, the last time I spoke to them was when I paid for it. And they sent out emails to me and I have not been able to contact them since. Right. They keep sending me emails to um, about different gigs and stuff. I keep replying to everything saying, which please deal with my problem. And never once have to come back to me. And were you on a legit As site? I said, it sounds like a, sorry? Were you on a legit site? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I, I, maybe I'm assuming I was. They sent out all the tickets with the ticket numbers, everything like that. And it was it was advertised on, um, I think it was their gig and their number came out on, I don't know, was it your show or somebody's show at the time was happening? You know, to contact Ticketmaster for the tickets. Yeah, you're, you haven't been hacked. No, I mightn't have been a legit. I mean, I'm not sure, but I mean, like with all the emails, I mean, they keep if even if it wasn't a legit site, I mean, sure, I get emails off them every couple of days about different people playing in different places all over the country from the same, same email address. Yeah, so nobody comes back to you on any of the contact with Ticketmaster. I have never once got contact back, and, and I, you're I down mean, 410 four hundred and ten euro for a gig that's happening next month, and you have no tickets. Exactly. And I have tried everything apart from yourself now. Like, I mean, I believe in this as a last resort. I mean, I don't want to be on annoying people about tickets for a concert. As I said, you have enough to be dealing with. No, I'm just, because I'm just curious as to whether you were on a legit site or not, or whether you got, ha- whether you got hacked or whether or not. I would you- 100% say yes. It was legit. Yeah. Is there yeah, a phone I mean, number? Is there a... I ring, yeah. No, they, well, they don't answer it. And even the one inside in Patrick's, uh, remember there was one in Merchant Ski? There was, yeah. They told me that, yeah, basically they understand, but I mean, at back then, but uh, they they now don't even take phone calls. If you ring it, it, the number doesn't exist. Yeah. Do you check your wallet on your Ticketmaster account? It could be in the wallet. Like, yeah, I have, I have I a Ticketmaster like, account it, and it kind of sits yeah. in there, but you go looking for them. Yeah, did you see the um, the emails there where I sent you that um, about going into your Ticketmaster thing? So, right, every time I try to go into my Ticketmaster thing, it's telling me my password is wrong. So I go and I change my password. And when I change my password, yeah, as you know, they send you out a code that you enter in yeah. uh, through your email. And I've done that. But you see a list of emails there that I sent you through that it keeps telling me password wrong, password wrong. And I keep going back in to try do it and do it and do it and do it and it just won't let me in. And you know with the old tickets where they're going to automatically send you new ones for the gig next month, is it? You see, that's the thing. I don't know. I have never been, you know, they, they just said your tickets are valid for the next gig, which is the one coming up. I, I, I bet you that, I bet the tickets are in your account somewhere and you just can't get into your... Are you locked, are you locked, the account, you're yeah. locked So you're locked out of... Of your account, yeah, and I've tried everything to get back into it. I mean, you see the list of emails there of me trying to get back into the account. Have you tried to and access the account from another phone or another laptop? Yeah, from a computer, from everything, and no good. Yeah, and just curious, is the issue on your side? Well, but I they said they were posting the tickets, so I mean, I mean, you think they'd post them? I wonder why they'd bother posting them if you have a, a Ticketmaster account. They just the tickets. Yeah, just that's, a, what, that's what I'm saying. It's sort of, you can see there that they'll be sent to you in a gift wrap thing with the seat number, the whole lot, everything. That's and part of the VIP know, experience. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if anybody is, else yeah. has had any problems with the. If Christ it thing. is a scam, I don't know, and if it is, I've been cast. But I mean, I genuinely don't think it is. But I mean, uh, if you even try contact Ticketmaster yourself, I bet you'll have no joy. We well, you can try. 
Yeah. I'm just curious. I'm just wondering and why yeah, you, you have can't. The, you have all the you have all the account numbers. You have everything there. Yeah. I'm just wondering why you can't change your password. Don't have a clue. You know. And do you know anybody that would be a bit more tech savvy than the likes of you or me? No, not really. Yeah. I mean, I can give you all the details. I mean, I can give it to one of the lads there, and if they want to try it, fair enough. Yeah. And, well, I know we live in a world now where it's almost impossible to pick up the phone and actually speak to anybody anymore. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's the same with everything, utility companies and everybody. Everything, yeah. The pandemic. yeah. They give but, you, um, these days they just look, give you a I mean, choice look, of if, possible If I can't answers. get them, I can't get them. But I mean, do you know something? It's worth one last try, isn't it? Yeah, so somebody says here, with that type of ticket, your barcode is on the lanyard. Don't panic. You only get the lanyard posted yeah, a week beforehand. Yeah, but I mean, so do I take the risk of waiting know, a week before? You'd have two very unhappy people. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, this is a couple of years ago now, nearly. And I mean, when they won't even reply to um, an email, it makes you start to panic. Okay, I mean, I mean, look, as I said, as I said to you, it's a first world problem. No, I know. Let's, let's, let's I know. Well, listen, you got in touch with me and I appreciate everybody that contacts me. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm on the air. If I wasn't getting people in touch with me, yeah. I wouldn't be on the air. So let's, let's see. Um, let's see if we can just maybe make a call or see if they'll respond to us through that. Yeah, press. and if you want to, they'll put me back onto one of your researchers yeah, and I give them my email address yeah. and um, they can try to get into my account. Okay, let's see if we can hack your account at 12 o'clock, all right? Yeah. All right, Patrick. <laughs> Cheers for now. Okay, take care. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Text 0868-104-106. Lads, we'll pick up on all other business tomorrow. I know that on Friday, there was a chap by the name of Randy Santel was going into uh, Tony's Bistro on the North Main Street to take on the Godfather Challenge. It's always good to revisit stories because otherwise they're just left hanging. Somebody who had a bit of time on his hands on Friday. <laughs> you make it sound like I'm dosting and doing no, tech inside the, in our beautiful city knocking around town. Why not? So you went in to observe. I did. Um, I've been a, a big fan of Randy Santel for quite a while. Who so is he? He's a, an American professional leader. Um, <laughs> so literally, I subscribed to his YouTube channel and the dude just like eats these ridiculous meals um, a couple of times a week. So he was uh, back in Cork. He did the Tony's he's challenge. He's a big lad. He's huge. That wasn't, um, that was something I wasn't expecting. When I went in there, this dude is massive. Well, I'm tiny anyway. But this dude is like six foot plus. Like, you know, I reckon if a car hit him, the car would come off worse. <laughs> it was that bad. So I went into Tony's, had a look. There's a good crowd in there. And this dude can put away food, man. Okay. It's frightening. All right. So the, I saw a photograph of him sitting there before the main event. And the Godfather challenge is eight Horgan's Irish sausages, six smoked rashers, six, six ounce sirloin steak, four hash browns, four slices of Clonakilty black and white pudding, two fried eggs, two scrambled eggs, two enormous bowls of chips, oh, yeah. three fried tomatoes, a bowl of baked beans, huge bowl of baked beans, mm. a massive bowl of sauté. They're not portions. They're huge bowls of sautéed mushrooms. A bowl, massive yep. bowl of fried onion rings, six, six slices of toast, three slices of soda bread, always down with a bucket of tea or coffee. And, and he did it in just over 20 minutes. It was frightening watching this dude eat. It was just like, it was just a remorseless breakfast eating machine like <laughs> shoveling food into his mouth like you know what I mean did he use the knife and fork no he was using his hands for most of it um, I think he used a spoon for the beans um, I have to admit I didn't stay for the whole thing because I had my little girls with me and about three minutes into a child two started saying very loudly dad I'm bored can we go because at the end of the day it's just a dude eating breakfast like you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> 
But the pace of it. It's what, frightening. What, what did he start with? Um, like, what did he start with? He, he had the steak very, very early on anyway, and then he attacked the toast. Um, like, he obviously has a strategy going in mind, because, like, when they were setting up uh, the shots and all that stuff, like, he was kind of telling people his strategy. I think I'm going to go for this first. And then someone said, oh, Randy, you're going to do it in 20 minutes. He goes, I can't stand over 20 minutes. 30 maybe I can stand over Why 30. Why were they saying 20 minutes? Was there a record to be broken? See, he had the record. Um, the last time he was here was it like five or six years ago. Um, he did it in 47 minutes. Um, so he was the only person in Tony's history to do it under, under an hour and he wanted to break his record and he did that. He beat it by 26 hours. So he's the o- still the only person to do it under an hour yeah, ever <laughs> and he did it in 21 minutes. And then he did it in 21 minutes. So you minutes. think he's achieved a record that will never be broken? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think anyone is going to get anywhere near Anywhere near 21 What minutes. did Jonathan make of it in there? He was delighted. I was speaking to him briefly um, and uh, he was absolutely delighted uh, with, I suppose, the buzz that was around the place and all the attention that uh, Tony's was getting. Um, and and did, was there somebody else also did the challenge on the same morning as him, was there? Uh, his partner did it after him, Katina. <laughs> so, like, by comparison, like, you know, Randy's the biggest dude in the world. Katina is tiny. She's smaller did than me. Did she do it? And she put it away. It's like, it, it's... Like, I don't know where it all went because she's so small. And she does this on a regular basis. They're in Dwyer's the night before on the Thursday they night. They did the Holy Cow Burger Challenge oh, I watched him do the this one and a half life. kilo beef patty, is it? It was ridiculous. You could see his stomach getting bigger as the challenge was progressing in, in Dwyer's. It was a frightening amount of food he put away. But his health is at risk, is it not? With cholesterol and pressure on his heart? I would imagine so. He's a big dude, man, as I was saying. Like, you know what I mean? And you're eating this food regularly two or three times a week. Uh, you'd have to imagine he's under pressure. Now, if you watch him on YouTube, he does go through um, healthy um, eating crazes to get his weight back don't he call it a sexification he calls it to get back into somewhat of fighting shape well, do, you like, you know we, I mean? do you think we'd give it a go you and I I don't think the two of us could finish it between <laughs> us to be perfectly honest with you boy alright go on I'll let you get on <laughs> I'm out of time, guys. Our lines will stay open on, as always, 0868104106 by text. Email neil at redfm.ie. Oh, I didn't mention, I had some fabulous family passes to give away the rest of the week for Michael Collins House, for Spike Island, for Camden Fort Mar, for Skibbereen Heritage Centre, for the Yall Clockgate Tower, for the Voices of St. Mary's Tour at the St. Mary's Collegiate Church in Yall, which I think is absolutely superb. So if you're looking for things to do across the summer, Cork County Council and Explore Cork app have given me family passes for those to give away and we'll start on those tomorrow so make sure you're listening I'm going to pick up a, a family pass to take you to one of those wonderful wonderful uh, summer experiences for you and the kids occupy the time I'm not saying that there's not other things to do with the weather's being nice but it gets you into some wonderful wonderful locations free of charge I'll see you tomorrow for more Red FM podcasts go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts